Hey, this is Jason A. Hurley, writer of The Beauty, and you're listening to 11 O'Clock Comics. Sweetness. Man, I got a lot of reading done in a short amount of time for today. Proud of you. Proud yeah. of both of you. Thank you. See, I had uh, one of those days where I had meeting upon meeting. Dad knows what's up with that. He knows. Oh, sure. <laughs> well, you don't have, I mean, it's fair to say you don't have meetings anymore, right? I commune with nature. That's my meeting. Exactly. Yeah. You meet with the plants. <laughs> um, uh, but uh, in betwixt my, my meetings, I had like a 20-minute window between each of the two meet, three meetings I had, so I... I read uh, several comics that came out today in betwixt them to uh, pass the time and get ready for tonight. That's nice. That's awesome. Mm-hmm. I, I, you know, I wish I almost wish I had a commute. It would be sweet because I'd get all the books read. You would get them all read. Dude, get a job in Manhattan. We could commute together. I would <gasps> kill for a job in Manhattan. Me too. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I would do anything. So funny because I would do anything to never have to set foot in Manhattan again. Oh, see, we are so, so different sometimes. <laughs> we are, I know. <laughs> uh, but I love the city. We are different, yet we are one. And this is Eleven O'clock Comics, episode five hundred and forty-four, our special mm. Book of the Month episode. And <laughs> I'm your witch doctor. I'm Vince B. Oh, I like it. I like it. Well, I can't uh, play I, music in the beginning, so I I have to do something. Okay. <laughs> All right. That's, That's cool. I'm, I'm okay with that. It's, right. You do you. Um, I am not the man of steel. I am David A. Price. I see how it goes. It's true. You're not the man of steel. Neither am I, because I am not Hulk, the veiled one. <laughs> That was dramatic. Can you do that again? I am not Hulk, the Veiled One. No, you're not not Hulk, the Veiled One. You're Jason Wood. Snap it, Pappy. Yep. And this episode of Lemon O'Clock Comics has been brought to you, the listener, by our awesome Patreon supporters. Yes. Yeah, they are there for us, and they're there for you. They're there for everybody. If you'd like to uh, know what this Patreon thing is, go to patreon.com forward slash 11OCOMICS. That's 11 o'clock comics, no apostrophe. And you'll find out. We have a lot of fun. We put up videos and images, and there's back and forth with messages and stuff. It's awesome. And we would like to have you if you would have us. So check it out. Patreon.com forward slash 11OCOMICS. Yep. We By got the way, we're coming up on our one-year anniversary. Yes, we are. It's amazing. It feels like it was Dude, just... Dude, time yeah. freaking flies. No, it I know. Like yesterday we were deciding whether we should do it and asking our faithful EOC familia on Facebook what they thought if we, if we, if we did it. Yeah. I cannot believe it's actually been a freaking year. I know. It's crazy. Well, I was going to say, it seems like just yesterday we were racing up escalators to find your missing portfolio. Well, in fact, it was 50 weeks ago. Right. That's, That's a, right. It, time just blows by. It really does. 
Did you really think time speeds up as you get older? I don't know. I, think so. I know time is a constant, or at least it should be in theory. But it just seems like the the older I get, the the faster the years roll by. Don't you think, especially with the kids, you blink and they're. I mean, Nina's going to be twenty one. Good Bro, lord, that's so crazy! What? I know, twenty one. I remember waiting in line for the first or second year of Comic Con because we were being nice because our friends didn't have press passes and talking to you about her going through puberty, dude. I know. That's crazy. What? Yeah, now she's boning all the time. Oh, my God. <laughs> I'm kidding. I'm kidding. <laughs> <laughs> so let's do this drink roll call because I have a surprise for you. I love it. Well, yes. kick it off then. All right. I wanted to mix it up because it's a special episode. You bring a special brew. And um, I have a safety net, though. I do have the Livingston... Cabernet on deck if this libation proves not to be delectable. It's made from uh, made by Dogfish Head. Oh. It has one of my favorite bands. Their name is on this beer, so it better be good. It is called Dragons and Yum Yums. It's mm. the Flaming Lips um, beer from Dogfish Head. And it's pink. The beer's pink. I didn't drink it yet, so I'm wait. Gonna... It's pink. Yeah, it's pink. Wow. Well, wait, wait, I'm trying to think what what would make it pink. The coloring. I don't, they colored it. It, but the beer, the beer's pink. It looks like. Mean, do you think it's just food coloring, or is it some kind of? Is it I, flavored with some kind of fruit? It's not that sweet. Now I, I poured it in in the in a glass here. It is pink. Um, it looks like a blush wine. That's how huh. pink. That's how pink it is, and I'm it is. Intrigued. Oh, it's not good. Oh shit! No, it's not good. <laughs> <laughs> you heard here first. <laughs> Sorry. Back, back to the Livingston. Oh, it is foul. It is not not tasty at all. Thank you, Wayne. You prick. <laughs> oh my god! So you're yeah. drinking that wine then? I'm drinking that wine. Yeah, but it, the, 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 the Dragons and Yum Yums does have a very neat, neat label. I can feel it. Tonight's going to be a good one. In you tradition- cannot judge a beer by its label. No, That's- you can't. In traditional Flaming Lips fashion, it's a psychedelic label on, on this thing. So, I mean, one of my favorite bands, psychedelic label, uh, Dogfish Head, have never steered me wrong <laughs> until now. It's just not good. I'm sorry. See, Vince, I know you like to often say, as you just did, that we're so different, but... I too am a fan of the Flaming Lips. I've seen them in concert twice. I would, I would, I'm jealous. I've never seen them. Really? Yep. Well, they played Lollapalooza once. Ah. Uh, oh, you went to go see Three Eleven, so yeah, they were there. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Why are you fronting on Three Eleven all of a sudden? <laughs> all of a sudden, no. I like their two songs. It's cool. My last oh, Lollapalooza. My God, dude, why are you shots fired? I'm on your side tonight. I know you are. We're all Holy good. Holy shit! It's dude. gonna be a great dude, episode. It was all I could do not to include. Uh, Omaha Styley on my top ten albums on the Facebook thing. What is Omaha Styley? It's one of the three eleven oh. albums. Oh, okay, not a fan. I have to, I have to set my ten up, so I'll be doing that. Yeah, you know, I tagged you thinking, well, I know he didn't do it because I would have seen it. Yes, yeah. Facebook posts, right? But uh, I did I mine know, all at once. Posts. Thank you. I thought so. That's why I couldn't. I was like, I'm pretty yeah, sure I, did so. I don't remember seeing like a lot of posts, but okay. Yeah, yeah. but I'm gonna do the ten favorite movie. 
that's cool. thing. And I will break that soundtrack. I feel like people are people. It's funny how people get surprised. Like, yeah. Like when you post stuff like, or like, I, I feel like every time I post a non hip hop album, people are like, Oh, look at you. You actually like non hip hop. The the Paul's <laughs> Boutique did not surprise me at all. Neither did Paul's Boutique didn't surprise me. Neither did uh, Sergeant Pepper's. But there or was, a, yeah, there was a couple in there. I was like, hmm. That's, well, the, that's interesting. The most surprising one probably is the Boston's because it's the rarest, right? Yeah, I think so. And my last one today was Miseducation of Lauren Hill, which yes, you'd probably be harder to guess as well. Yeah, couldn't get into that one. Oh, I love it so much. That's cool. I mean, a lot of people do. Yeah, it yeah. is. It is a bona fide classic album. It's it's bona it's, fide. It's, mm-hmm. it's it's great, but it, you know, it's not not my my ticket. Well, well I'm what, sorry. That, go ahead. Dan. No, I was just I was uh, trying to segue into uh, what you're drinking. Oh, word up! Well, I also am drinking something new for the show, Ugh. and it uh, unlike Vince, I tried it already, so there's no chance of me saying it's terrible. Um, from southern Australia, so nowhere near our boy Roland. Shout out. Um, what up, big man? Yep. I'm drinking Norfolk Rise Shiraz from 2015. And um, I'm just going to read you what James Holiday said because he gave it 95 points. Is that a good It's a drop dead gorgeous. It's got amazing deep purple and crimson, heady aromas. Think raspberry sorbet, black plums florals, and a smidge of black pepper and cedary oak, all in perfect balance with the supple and velvety tannins. It's elegance and fineness in abundance. Mm. It sounds very good. It is good, and it's not that expensive. Nice. So it's only like $60 a bottle. <laughs> no, it, it is. It is. I, I paid $16 for it. Oh, see, that's in my zone right there. Yeah. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Suffice to say, all joking aside, 90% of the wines I've ever discussed in this show have cost less than $20 a bottle. Same. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Every now and then I'll drop an expensive-ass one on y'all. You won't notice, but that's all right. Well, I would never notice. Dap would be the one to notice. Why would I know? I I know I'm an otter over here. What are you (laughs) drinking, Dap? Uh, I, too, am drinking something new this evening. Uh, it is a wine, and I figured I'd open this one because the uh, the name of it kind of uh, fit with this evening's topics. Uh, this is uh, Perseverance Cabernet <laughs> Sauvignon from <laughs> California. Unheard of. Uh, <laughs> just say it. Uh, <laughs> I think this may be the end. If, 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 if Dap is going to drive down that road, I think this may legit be the end. <laughs> at least, at least, at least, Jonathan got on before we called it quits. But uh, that's did, not bad. Oh, you drank it? Is good? Yeah, I, I it's 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 kind of on the smooth side. I'm I'm a little surprised because it's again, it's not. This may have been anywhere from like ten to twelve bucks. I don't know, but it's it's. Yeah, no, I I like this a lot. This might this might make it into the rotation. Sweet. All right, this is it, the book of the month. Now, Dap, would you be so kind as to read the list of contenders? I certainly will. Um, as soon as I get to it, because <laughs> why would I have 
plan this at all. Um, and actually, I had an idea. Oh, do say. Regarding, regarding wow. June's book of the month. I know it's rare. Um, we, I, I can try to, you know, we can definitely assemble options this weekend for June's book. Okay. Or I was thinking this evening, what if, and this would, I don't know, I, I kind of want to hear what you guys think about it and what the patrons think about it, but mm-hmm. um, what if we found something at Heroes? Either found a couple of things that the patrons can can vote on that weekend, or we find something and just say, it, it, it doesn't have to necessarily, I'd like it to be new to us, but if we left Heroes with the June book of the month. I, was oh, just thinking, I love I, that. No, I, I, I love that. I love it. I love it. The only issue is we let's make a commitment to as soon as we choose it, whether it be Friday, Saturday, Sunday, whatever, that we hit up the patrons on the site with the pick so that they have a chance to read along. Absolutely. Sweet. Sweet. Without a doubt. Yeah. Yeah, I like that. Okay. All right. You know uh, why I like it? Other than it's spontaneous and fresh and it's 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 organic. I like it because it means we have to walk the dealer section more oh yeah yes. we wouldn't have done that well no i'm well, just saying well, i would have oh yeah. stop we would have had to pull you away from panels and, and artist alley but dap and i are going to shine keith giffen's shoes oh big <laughs> time yeah Eiffel Tower. uh your may's books of the month nominees were the damned volume one three days dead ducktales treasure trove give me liberty the killer the Mask Omnibus Volume 1, Metropole, Nexus Executioner Song, The Savage Sword of Conan Volume 1, Scout Volume 1, Sleeper Volume 1, and The Spire. And as you know, as the patrons know, and as uh, you will know who's about to listen, your winner with 21% of the votes, The Savage Sword of Conan Volume 1. My people pick the right one. Yo, peoples. Legit, I'm glad they picked it because I have always wanted to read this and have had the collection sitting on my shelf for God knows how long and never got around to it because it wasn't uh, on the to-do list. So I'm glad that uh, I'm glad that that was finally able to uh, be a designated something that we dive into. I have up to volume seven. Not nice. Fine. Yeah. Oh, after, um, after seven, also, it kind of trails off. I, d- I didn't like the quality of it, but okay. Go ahead. Mm-hmm. No, I was going to say since since this is a patron sponsored episode, let's start off start off right uh, rather than waiting until uh, the mid mid roll and shout out um, our two newest uh, EOC Illuminati sponsored patrons, uh, Mister Brian Clark, who uh, was kind enough to. Uh, Pledge today. Yes. And uh, I don't think we shouted him out last week. If we did, then he's getting a second shout out. Mr. Scott Anderson. Yes. So much love to you both. Thank Sweet you. And of course, much love to um, all the rest of y'all, including, by the way, let's let's give a huge shout out to Mr. Trev Boyd, because I'm not going to put him on blast for everybody else. It's his own business. But dude has been an incredibly generous patron over yes, this first real. year. Yeah. And like patient. Insa- like insanely and, so. So I, I got... Yes, it's insane. So, so it's it's like humbling and awesome. And thank you. 
then once I and post heroes, I think we'll will be be able to work out the logistics so he can be on the show. Yes, he is owed an appearance yes. in the fourth chair. Yes. Yep. So, all right, let's do. Th- oh, and and one other thing. Um, this is a little different than our typical monthly book of the month episode for two reasons. One, this particular collected edition is nearly 600 pages, and as Dap alluded in his jokes, because he's got jokes, it's a dense 600 pages. So we all agreed that it would be unreasonable to do what we've been doing, which is essentially a page-by-page, chapter-by-chapter, deep-dive recap and analysis of the entire book. So we won't be doing that. It would just probably all be bored to tears. Um, I wouldn't. No, I'm saying our listeners, because it would go on for six, seven hours. Um, So we asked our, I mean, rather, we we, we caucused and we each chose one of the chapters to focus on. Um, That'll give you a nice sampling of what's in the book. And then the second way that this is different than a typical book of the month episode uh, is that um, we will be giving you some other content tonight. Because there's a few books that hit the shelves today, so fresh off the presses from Quebecor, uh, that we couldn't wait a week to talk about because they are going to be in the comic pop culture zeitgeist um, starting tonight. And we wanted to give you our thoughts on them uh, right now while they're hot. So if you're wondering what they are, I guess we should tell them. No, no, No? just just stay tuned. Stay stay tuned. Stay tuned. But two books that came out today that are... uh, Big books, books that people are highly anticipating. Yes. Now, let's do some uh, some framing here. We are talking about The Savage Sword of Conan, Volume 1, which contains Savage Tales 1 to 5, not the magazines in their entirety, just the Conan-specific stories from Savage Tales 1 to 5, because if you know your Marvel Magazine history... Savage Tales was taken away from Conan and handed to Kazar after Savage Sword started. So we get Savage Tales, the Conan stories, 1 to 5. And then you get Savage Sword of Conan, 1 to 10. Again, just the Conan-specific strips. There was other things in Savage Sword pertaining to Conan and Robert E. Howard and and the whole mythology, text pieces and stuff that are not in this. So, um, and I got a bone to pick a little bit with Dark Horse. Oh, okay. It was never called Savage Tales of Conan the Barbarian. Never. It was just Savage Tales featuring Conan the Barbarian. Because, as you know, that first issue of Savage Tales contains the first appearance of whom? Come on, mm-hmm. I've talked about it many times. It's my one of my Grail books that I never bought back in the day. I don't own a copy of it. Savage hmm. Tales number oh. one, Man-Thing. First, right. first oh. appearance of the Man-Thing, yeah. Yep. So if anybody wants to be my secret Santa this year, the one thing that I do not own is a copy of Savage Tales number one. Well, maybe we'll find it here. It uh, would be nice. would be nice. I don't need it slabbed or anything. I just I just need a copy. Um, and back in the day, I would buy Savage Sword relentlessly. I would never miss an issue. No doubt. Yep. Because it was so awesome, you know? I mean, it, and it was part of Marvel's magazine line, which means it was 
above the comics code of authority restrictions they could show breasts or hints of breasts there was sex or hints of sex um and and it was just it just felt like i was reading something that was written for someone much older than i uh it contained things about the world that i had no idea like sex and and violence and everything i just loved every issue of it did you guys uh ever buy savage sword as I as I hinted um, in saying I had been meaning to read it, I, I never read this ever. In fact, um, one of the coolest things about this experience for me was that, uh, I mean, you, you both know, and I think the audience probably does as well, I, I love John Buscema, and I consider him uh, on my Mount Rushmore. He is the first Marvel artist that I cared about in terms of, you know, prefer and seeking out his work. I... I it's my dream to own Buscema Avengers art. Um, I own one page, but I, I would love to own more. Um, I, I just, to me, he is the the ultimate. Um, no disrespect to, to King Kirby, I'm not, but outside of Kirby, because he's kind of his own his own his own thing. Um, outside of Kirby, he's he's my favorite Marvel superhero artist of all time, even to this day. And so, uh, I've always known that in many people's eyes, he was far better known for his work on Conan. And I know from reading up about him, um, because unfortunately passed away before I ever got a chance to meet him, um, he preferred this fantasy work, much preferred it. He he, he actually didn't even really like drawing superheroes, it just was a job, but this he he loved doing. So um, so even though, even despite knowing that and never really having an issue with Conan, like I don't, it's weird. Like I give you shit for the pulps, you know, like, and, and I, no, and I make fun of them, but I never, I've always dug the concept of Conan. Like I, I loved the films with Schwarzenegger. I, I watched them a million times as a kid. I, I, um, like I never had a, it wasn't like I thought Conan was corny or I avoided reading it. Um, I don't know why I just didn't, I didn't read a lot of it, but not because I actively was against it. It just, just never quite made the the stack, and uh, so no, I didn't read it as it was coming out. I had for for me, this was the first time reading all of this, and uh, wow, yeah. So, wish I could I'll leave it at that. Though. I'll let Dap talk on it. Yeah, uh, I've I've read maybe a Savage Sword here or there. Um, I pretty much stuck to the the main monthly comic book and uh kind of graduated to king conan slash conan the king um especially with those early mark silvestri pages the um i am i am a fan of the character i've i've never read any robert e howard books so i don't know um how i know that in the credits, this says this is freely adapted or based on, and and Roy Thomas is of course using Howard's stories as as a, as a launching pad. But I don't know, and and part of what probably this is obviously this is an anthology. There, there's no, they're all Conan stories, but it's not like there's any. It's not like we were reading Planetary. Or Astro City, where there's some progression from not just issue to issue or chapter to chapter, but but story to story, and uh, that's part of. I'm not going to say made it difficult, but that's that was part of the 
little bit of the hurdle because it was it it is dense and and it just it didn't not and and the stories are not the same. It's not like once you've read one Conan story, you've read them all. No, they are all they all bring something different. So there's something that that you can get out of every story, whether it's who it's drawn by or the subject matter or even even Vince's pick, which is absolutely amazing. Uh, but there's something in in each story that that you can you can have fun with and, and it makes it special. Uh, It was just a lot of Conan for me. And, (laughs) and it's, it's, and, and I, I know it's probably, it's, it's weird of all as, as much as I am a fan of the character and the movies, although I did not see the one with them. I didn't see the remake with Momoa, but, um, you know, I, I, I love that. What if issue? where he comes to the 20th century where he fights Thor. I, 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 I like the character. There are just, um, like I said, there's just, there's, and, and it's, a, it's, not, it's not that it's just a lot of Conan. It's a lot of Roy Thomas. And I don't know where Roy begins and Robert E. Howard ends. I don't know if, if, if I read the novels or the stories, if, if this would be as dense, I don't know if, if Roy was just like, I'm, rewriting this novel as as you know and and not letting this artist really kind of have much room to to breathe which they they, they do there there are, there are definitely some pages some panels here which, which are flawless and and um progress move the story along but uh roy thomas loves his typewriter and and it's a there's a um this is wordy and and you may want to just look at the pretty pictures but but there there's a lot to read so it was it it again it wasn't homework it wasn't burdensome there was just a lot of it so um i needed a breather that that was the thing we we had a we only had a few weeks to read this and and there was just a lot of it to read right i don't think thomas's wordiness i don't think there's a lot of extraneous verbiage in no there isn't Everything he writes has a purpose. I mean, he yes, he I does agree. ramble on about certain things, but it's never at the expense of the narrative. I think everything he he put into the story is, while not essential, it it does propel the story along. Which which it is, does. and you said and you've it, never read Robert E. Howard, correct? He was a contemporary of Lovecraft. They were friends. Okay. And I think some of Lovecraft's noodling uh, wore off on him. Um, he's not as as uh, rambling as Lovecraft, but Howard could he could write some pretty damn prose, and and a lot of it. So the the I mean the stories are not very quick reads, even the, the shorter ones because of the way that. Howard used words. I mean, um, so yeah, the stories in Savage Sword, as adapted by Roy Thomas, do reflect Howard's style. Right. And it's, you're right that there isn't anything unnecessary in what, um, not 100%. There, there, especially in my story, I was, I was happy that, uh, Roy was able to kind of, narrate things because even though yes he will might he he will write that as the barbarian hurls his axe it's like yeah, yeah well i just saw barry smith draw that i get right. it but but he also does after that axe hits somebody 
you may get some backstory on who the victim was. So, right. so I do, I definitely appreciate that. Yeah. Um, so you guys painted the picture. I have to say Savage Sword and Savage Tales for me, I'm, I can't look at these with anything other than rose colored glasses. To me, they are the pinnacle. Okay. Um, along with Monsters Unleashed and Dracula Lives and um, Tales of the Zombie, the Marvel black and white magazines. Yes, I do love Jack Kirby. He's my favorite artist. But I don't think, as far as a group of titles is concerned, I don't think that Marvel ever got better than the black and white magazines. But that's just a personal preference. Yeah, you can lay it down a Kirby Fantastic Four next to a Basima Avengers, next to a Ditko Doctor Strange, and um, a uh, or a Ditko Spider Man, or even a Romita Senior Spider Man. Just lay them all out and say it. It's better than this, and I'd be hard pressed to argue it, but I would that it is because the Marvel magazines are my golden age. Mm-hmm. They are for and, I mean they are and, for yours for sure. Yeah, and and I just I, I have lived under the shadow of those magazines my entire life. The, even the ads by by Gaspar Saladino with the type and the and because you demanded it and the Conan up to his knees and muck with Barry Windsor Smith. Like I even remember the ads for it for these books. Like this is my special time in in Marvel history, and I can't. I I'm, I'm not going to be too objective or or I, I i can't be objective these these are very important to me so take that as you will as we talk about these things well let's get right to it yeah well who wants to go first well you love them i it's, i, I mean them. we can we we can go in order of the stories that they appear in the book we can go in i think it I, i'll go Okay. Because the book, the story that I chose, it seems like it's one of it's one of, if not Vince's favorite, because he called it a masterpiece before I picked it or after. It is it. a beautiful fucking story, bro. Yeah. Cool. Um, so I chose, and for those playing at home, uh, and you happen to have the the book, it's it starts on page one hundred and fifty nine. It is uh, Savage Sword of Conan number two from October. Uh, it is a um, it's from my my birth year, nineteen seventy four, nice. with cover cover art by Neil Adams, and the story uh, is the first in the in the magazine, uh, starting on page one sixty. Scripts, of course, by Roy Thomas and art, which is one of the reasons I chose it, by Misters John Buscema and Alfredo Alcala. And God, way back, I mean, I don't even know what, like seventy years ago, we did a a whole episode on the Filipino masters, right? Mm-hmm. I mean, way back. I mean, digging in the crates. And um, again, I mean, as a huge Buscema fan, I, even though I didn't read this stuff, I have seen a ton of the art of the years. I'm acutely aware of the many people that assisted him. Uh, and I say assist because while they were inkers, I mean, uh, these guys were amazing draftsmen in their own right. Um, and for my money, and, and I don't even know, we've never talked about or we have The three of us haven't talked about this beforehand. Uh, Alcala is the best of, of Buscema's inkers, in my opinion. Yep. You, you scoffed. Do you I, I can't, I can't, I can't argue that. Okay. There's no one that comes close. 
Yeah, it's it's okay. Uh, I don't dap you. You're an ink. You're an inker aficionado. What do you think? I it, it's no. I I would have to agree. Okay, absolutely. Sweet, sweet. So that's really the main reason I picked this story. I can't. Again, I had never read any of this, so I, I didn't. I didn't have any predispositions about what story to choose. Um, it's called Black Colossus, and um, it, it's it, it starts off with uh, what we will then find out to be a prologue. Um, it takes place in uh, the ruins of uh, Kut, um, uh, Kuchemis, and uh, who the fuck knows if I'm saying this right, but uh, and we, we are introduced to a thief named Shivatas, and he is um, he is making his way into a domed, a golden, an ivory dome that's covered in gold, where he um, believes that there is a massive fortune uh, inside this building uh, that belonged to a, uh, a a ruler from three thousand years ago named Thugra Kotan, <laughs> and this uh, this dude uh, is is a badass thief. He's no joke. Uh, many men have tried to enter this uh, this building over the the millennia and have failed, but this dude did his homework. And in typical Indiana Jones fashion, he you know he he does some incantations. He finds some hidden stone buttons to press he, he gets he basically gets through uh, a giant snake attacks him he's ready for that and he gets in he gets into the temple and in the prologue uh, he walks in and he sees um, as you've seen in many a fantasy story a, a giant Dr. Scro- Uncle Scrooge type of 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 giant cavern just full of, of gold and lucre right? it's, it's everything he could have ever dreamed of and more He's bathing in it. He's just—he's as giddy as can be. And he's then doing suddenly, Scrooge. yeah, he's doing Scrooge. And then suddenly he turns, and, and in an amazingly illustrated fashion, his 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 glance turns into pure, unadulterated horror. He recoils, and 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 that's the end of the prologue. Presumably, he's died. Um, part two, called called Hordes of the Veiled One, opens up where we are introduced to the Princess Yasmela. And uh, <laughs> tell me, tell me that this splash page that Busema and Akala didn't draw her nude first, and then and then put the the clothing <laughs> on her, because this 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 princess is jaw droppingly rendered, um, as are many of the women throughout this 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 series. And that's one of the things that uh, that that does this this series proud, right? Whether it's, um, I mean, I guess this is all born out of Rosetta in a way, right? I mean, right? Like it's fair to say. Right. Oh, because, I think it's very fair to say that. Yeah. Yeah. So, so the princess is uh, is basically almost naked, and 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 she's she's seeing these giant glowing eyes, and and that is the uh, she's being haunted by this uh, this person that refers to themselves as Natok the Veiled One, which is how I introduced myself, and uh, he's basically telling her that uh, he's he's taking over adjacent lands, and he's coming for her and her lands, and he's going to make her his 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 bride, basically his, his, his concubine, he's going to hit it and not quit it. Um, she comes to from her nightmare, her, her, her assistant, her maiden, if you will, who's equally gorgeous and blonde. Whereas, was, uh, where she is, uh, the princess is, is brunette. They have a little, little powwow about what, uh, what, what, uh, what she dreamed about. And essentially she's, she's given a vision by, um, a God that they worship, uh, Mitra. And essentially, the vision says you got to leave your 
your your uh, your lair your or your your abode, and you need to go out into the city streets and you need to to enlist the aid of the first man that you come across, and uh, he will help you in your in your in your times of need. And uh, since this is Savage Sword of Conan, it's no surprise that when she sneaks out into them streets, who does she bump into? But Conan, the man, and the man. He is uh, half drunk, and he, he's livid because in this 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 city, for some reason, it's it's like Manhattan today. Uh, the bars close <laughs> um, at, an, at an unacceptable hour to him, and he's pissed off. And he's about to gaffle this person that comes up behind him until he realizes that it's a beautiful woman. And she just keeps being like, no, 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 we can't talk here. Come back uh, to my place with me. So he's like, hey, I'm down with it. I can't drink anymore, so I'm a, I'm also going to get my fuck on. So he follows her back to uh, her crib, and he's very happy to see that she's got she's got plenty of mead and wine. And uh, she disrobes, and of course he then sees that she is the princess. And he's like, "Oh shit! I, I, what am I? I? This I can't be up in here." And uh, she explains the situation. She says, "No, no, you know, I, I had this vision. You, you need to help me. What have you?" And he's like, "Yeah, listen, that sounds good and all, but basically, I'm a, I'm a hired gun, you know, for your armies, and I'm a, I'm a low level hired gun, and so your generals are never going to go for me being the new leader of your armies. Like that's never going to happen." And she's like, "You, you don't worry about that. You know, they'll listen to me. I'm the boss. I'm the princess. So, uh, so just will you do it if I can get them to agree?" And he's like, "I don't give a fuck. Sure, I'll do it." <laughs> um, so sure enough, she she calls her uh, her generals and her conciliary to uh, to the chambers to let them know that she's decided to make Conan the new head of their armies. And um, you know, they're skeptical. You know, they're not sure, they're really trying to feel it. But uh, but to her credit, she's not just a pretty face and a and a great rack. She actually has some sway. And they do um, begrudgingly agree to follow his lead. Um, and so she she puts him into a garb that she feels will be appropriate for the task at hand. And it's basically like a, a Roman centurion outfit. Um, and I don't, again, I haven't read a ton of Conan, but I don't know that we've ever seen him dressed this way before. It's, Would you oh, say no. that's right, Vince? <laughs> it's, it's massive foreshadowing is what it is. Okay. Yeah, yeah, because okay. because once she gives him the the raiment, and ev- even those that scoffed at him says, you know mm-hmm. what, you do command um, loyalty, looking like you do. I didn't think you would fill out that that uniform, but you're almost kingly, and that's the <laughs> thing. Conan has dream had had a dream or, or a series of dreams where he dreamt that he would become king, and he eventually does. Yes. Right, right. Yeah, so this is like Howard's way of saying, you know, if you're paying attention, this is going to happen. Mm-hmm. I don't know when I'm going to do it because the the um, he wrote Conan stories like comic books are 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 serialized now, like periodicals, albeit in in the the you know the the weird um, the magazines of the time or the the yeah the pulps of the time, but they were serialized, and that's the thing when you said that when Dap said that there's no time frame for these stories there kind of is this is yeah. like, this is like a young conan mm-hmm. um you mean before he's got a, a world-renowned reputation for being well, yeah it builds as he goes on right but right they, they are in some kind of um order it's just that there's yeah. no like yeah, no. there's no remember that story from two chapters back where he yeah. d- destroyed this like you'll very freak you won't see that very frequently 
But it does happen. It does. So chapter three is, again, he's accepted the, the task. He takes the armies forth to march on Natok and his armies. And while he's sitting by the campfire, the princess who has come along with them for the journey uh, has another nightmare and is flailing about screaming. Uh, so Conan being the, the good, the good kind soul that he is grabs her and calms her down and carries her back to her, her chambers and puts her to bed and uh, ever the gentleman that Conan. Um, <laughs> but uh, they, they come across another thief that, uh, happens to claim to know a bit about Natok and, and the situation. It turns out that this thief um, also managed to get into the ivory dome at uh, Kuchemis. And in the artwork, we see that when he gets into the dome by his own dialogue, but we see it visually, the, uh, the thief we saw in the prologue, Shivatas, is, is, Basically, uh, mummified in desiccated. In, yeah, yeah. Thank you. That's the better word. Look at the rib uh, cage, the detail, yeah. and the freaking. It's like ribs. he's basically the life force that's sucked out of him. Yeah. And so when this thief sees that, he uh, he flees. He flees, but but he makes note of it. And and they're grilling him. Conan Conan wants to understand better. I mean, so there were no other people in that tomb. There was no bodies, and um, of course they're they're really trying to figure out uh, where if and when. Kotan was was in there because he was supposed to be entombed there. Uh, sure enough, he wasn't. And then the thief explains that he, in fact, saw off into the desert riding off a mysterious, uh, you know, uh, cloaked and, and turbaned, um, you know, black evil figure riding on a monstrosity of a camel creature. It's a camel, but it's a disgustingly emaciated, gigantic camel <laughs> with a huge hump riding off and uh the black camel as he calls it and the camel he says transforms into uh into some kind of flying beast and uh so basically he's seen this this not token it seems that not is not a human but is some kind of possessed creature um but it's conan so he doesn't really give a shit he's like bring it you know and uh then there's there's a, a i think a little bit of a slow part for me in the story where it and it's nothing you don't see a million times in 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 any film that involves older battles. It's 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 Conan and his generals rousing the troops and 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 protecting the flanks and lots of scenes of that of of, of horses and and uh, melees and the like. Uh, finally, Conan has to battle one on one with um, a giant warrior named Katuman, a rebel prince. Of course, it's Conan, so he gets the he gets the best of that. Uh, and over the course of these battles, fifty thousand men are killed. Yeah. Um, and and as as the battle and the battle is turning in their favor, but but as the battle is turning in their favor, suddenly comes this gigantic, disgusting camel creature, and behind it is a chariot, and in the chariot is uh, is 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 Natok uh, in his dark raiments and and what looks to be some kind of ape like. Yeti-like creature that is actually <laughs> the one that's driving the chariot and driving the camel, that's and so awesome. you've got this disgusting giant black camel being pulling a chariot that's being whipped by a 
ape-like creature with this turban-clad uh, evil warrior prince behind him. And uh, they basically ride in stealth-style, uh, ninja-style, during the battle. And um, they, do, they, they go to uh, Princess Yasmela's tent while the battle is ensuing. They do an end around and they grab Yasmela, which recall was that she had been getting these these consistent nightmares of Natok telling her that she was that he was coming for her because he wanted to make her his lover. And so Natok grabs her, carries her out and uh, Conan gets wind of it. He chases after. And like any good ape assistant, the man ape creature who's disgusting, really, it looks a lot like the the creature from that. um, Remember creep show? The movie? Uh, yeah, yeah. Uh, I don't remember. I know you do, of course. Remember that the, show, Friends? Wasn't <laughs> that the the episode where the crate, the creatures inside the crate? Oh yes, yes, yes. That's what this looks like to me. Uh, it's okay. it's it's apian with disgustingly long, scary teeth and really long, sh- uh, sharp claws. So that creature pushes Natok and Yasmela off the the off the chariot, uh, essentially creating a diversion. And then and then takes off with the black camel himself, and the camel turns into a flying creature. And Conan has to uh, pick pick a, you know pick a direction basically, which which is he going to go after? So Conan goes after the princess and Natok, and he follows him into the tomb where Natok has has run away with the princess. And when he walks in, he sees. Uh, the princess lying on what looks to be some kind of altar and Natok unveils from the turban. He pulls off the turban and in before you is a, uh, a, a site. No doubt Vince, Vince's got emblazoned in his memory. One of my favorite is, panels of all time. Oh, nice. Yep. It is the face of a, 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 it's a melted face. It's, it's as though the man's face was made of wax and was halfway through melting. You see his entire his entire eyeballs. You see his entire gums and teeth, and his ears and face and head and everything are just melting. The skin is melting off of him. And lo and behold, who is Natok? Well, if you're any good at anagrams or word jumbles, you probably already figured out that Natok is Kotan spelled backwards, and Natok is in fact Thugra Kotan, who is somehow alive three thousand years after he was entombed in some form. So he monologues for a bit. Conan's ready to, to beat that ass. He has to fight a giant snake before he gets there. Then he has to fight a giant black scorpion before he gets to him. But these are no match for our Sumerian. And then with one giant hurl of his sword, he impales uh, Kotan. And in as much as you can kill an immortal 3,000-year-old uh, former uh, Emperor, he does so. He he kills him with his sword, and um, and then the princess comes to in 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 classic fantasy form. She's ever so grateful that uh, Conan saved her, and she essentially offers herself to him right then and there. Yep. He he's like my he's like my dudette. There are fifty thousand <laughs> dudes out there that just died. We got better things to do than than get our fuck on. And she's like, well, yeah, but listen, all of that's still going to be out there. We got lots of things we're going to deal with once we're through with this. But for right here, right now, I'm yours and you're mine. And because he's Conan, he's like, well, I, 
Okay. And then we fade, the, and then we fade to black. Yeah. Presumably, he's he's presumably. I wish they had given us another two or three pages because <laughs> I'm sure these next two or three pages he's absolutely pound, going to pound town. He is Conan. I know. But and um, the thing my about only, my only criticism of the book, oh, of the story, okay. is that we didn't we didn't see the sexy time. <laughs> okay, that's fair. That's fair. As we talked about a few weeks ago, I don't like the, I don't like the the TNA if it's not. I need the payoff. I need the money shot. Yeah. Um. But all that aside, it was it was dope. I did figure out or guess. I don't think it's that much of a leap that that Natok was Kotan, but it didn't really matter if you figured that out or not. It it doesn't change the. The, the narrative or, or the story, the, the art is ridiculous. And if you think about it, if you think about some of the things that artists say are the hardest to draw, they're all in here. They're all in this story. <laughs> it's true. Right? Beautiful women, musculature. Horses. Snakes. Horses. I know sna- yeah, horses. Were, I was going to say horses are the hardest thing to draw. Snakes are super hard to draw. And I know this because, Dap, you know, well, you watch it too, Vince. On Ink Master, there's never been a good snake tattoo. Every time someone tries to tattoo a snake the judges point out how they can't draw snakes. So that's not easy. Um, yeah, I mean, it's just, it was a visual tour de force um, as is much of, of this, this series really. But uh, yeah, it was a blast, man. It was, it was pretty much what I would consider classic Conan. Um, it wasn't quite as gory as say some of the more modern stuff that I've read or, or the movies were. Um, but, but, but conceptually it was, very much in line with what I would have expected going right. in. You did choose the best story in the book. In, nice. In, in fact, it's it's probably the best single story in the entire run of Savage. Oh, uh, sort of. Conan. Really? Yeah. I mean, oh, I won't. I won't front. I picked one that's closer to my heart. But okay. but pulling back, looking at this just in terms of visual magnificence, and the fact that Roy Thomas did his job. And made a pretty damn engrossing story. I, it, it, you know, if I had to vote for the best story ever to come out of Savage, sort of Conan, I would pick Black Colossus. Well, how you like me now? Yeah, nice. Yeah. Uh, and and I'm just gonna, just for a couple minutes. There are a number of things in this story that we read the the whole book. So, the I love the fact that they keep repeating things that. They don't add to the story, but they add to the mythology, like the fact that mm-hmm. Conan had the dream that he would be king. That's great. But they keep repeating the Iron Bond books of Skelos mm-hmm. and the uh, the scrolls of Vathalos the the Blind. That had that those little nuggets are dropped in oh, I don't I didn't count, but many of the stories in this volume. Right. So they, they keep these little asides constant because Conan's a He's a mercenary. So the mm-hmm. locales frequently change story to story to story. Like he'll be in Ishtar one time. He'll be in Aquilonia. The next story, um, Shem. The he's next. a wanderer, yeah. Yeah, so he's a wanderer. He's a freebooter. So the, the locations change. The people change. But they tie it all together with these little nuggets that keep the continuity straight. They keep the mythology in line. Mm-hmm. And I, I love that. Now, because, is this all new or is this just all adaptations of prose from from Howard? 
Well, this is an adaptation of a Robert e. Howard story. Yeah, it is. Okay. Yeah. Um. There. I would say the majority of the things in this book are. I didn't. I wasn't taking taking notes on that part. But mm-hmm. after a while, they ran out of Robert e. Howard stories. Sure. Sure. And they just went willy nilly, just making shit up. Some, you know, obviously better than others, but uh, yeah. Um, now, this, did they do like? Um, sorry, did they do like Peter Jackson and 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 just picking on a couple things to kind of expand? Like, oh there yeah, were a couple they of would lines thrown out in one story. Did Thomas run with that and make yeah, a whole? Yeah. Okay. Yeah, they would say that for a certain story, this story takes place between Tower of the Elephant and you know. Um, I don't know, throw something out there, Song of Red Sonia, right? Mm -hmm. And there would be something in in an old story like a thief takes something and, you know, you see his comeuppance, but the time between he got his and, you know, they would extrapolate on that, just fleshing out the the, the mythology more. But Mm -hmm. no, there's original uh, Conan stories out there. There's tons of them. It's just that the best ones were written by his father. Robert E. Howard, right? The splash page. I, I'm so guilty of hyperbole. No one's going to believe this, <laughs> but I think the splash page with uh, Shevatas looking at the temple, mm-hmm. the 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 way that Alfredo hollowed out the title in negative space, and you do know that Alfredo did the lettering for this too, right? Mm-hmm. Yes. Yeah. So. I think that's one of the single best images Marvel ever published. The texture that I love every yes, I was just gonna say that bastard. I, I mm-hmm. oh. that's all Alf, I mean Alfredo is all texture. The one criticism that I would ever level against him, and it's not really a, a major one, it's just that everything looks wet when Alfredo embellishes it. And he is a heavy handed inker, like Alfredo over Basima looks a lot like Alfredo over someone else. He does command the stage when he inks somebody. So mm-hmm. there's that. But when we do that, that good old laundry list of the all-time greatest uh, visual teams in comics, you got Byrne and Austin. You got Miller and Jansen. Uh, Kirby and Sinnott or Kirby and Royer. Or um, I don't know. There, there's a there's a ton of the world's greatest teams. Uh, uh, John Romita Jr. and Al Williamson. Like we're talking goats, like greatest of all time teams. I don't think any of them were better than Basima and Alcala. I think this is the best pairing of pencil and anchor ever. I, I I'm hard pressed to disagree with you. This Black Colossus is a masterpiece. Every panel in this, there's nothing extraneous. Every panel is a, and this is going to sound stupid coming out of my mouth, but every panel is a work of art. There's nothing, you, you could blow up any of these panels and, and make them painting size, put them on a wall, and someone would marvel over it. They're just phenomenal, intricate, detailed, textured, nuanced images. And I think Basima is if you wanted to categorize him, even though he drew Avengers, Basim is a street level artist. Mm-hmm. He's he's Michelangelo, but a Michelangelo on the streets. 
He's got a grittiness to him, not like a Jansen grittiness, but a um, uh, a brutishness. Um, a pri- there's like a primal aspect to Basima, even when he was drawing Jarvis. There's there's a street, urban grittiness to to Basima that mm-hmm. Alcala kind of elevates him above that. He he polishes him and makes him the Michelangelo of the Marvel universe that he is. Right. I I don't this 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 pairing is exquisite. It truly is. It truly mm-hmm. is. And I love Basima's Avengers, but give me his Conan with Alfredo any day over that. Yeah. Well, you know it's funny. So I, I as I said, I, I never read this stuff, but being a Basema fan, I knew it was a big chunk of his career and, and the stuff that he was most proud of. Um for me, just because of the nostalgia of of the Avengers and all that, I, 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 you know, that'll never be knocked off my pedestal. But, but the work he did here was so different in so many ways, in no small part because of the partners he had, and it really is breathtaking. Uh, did he get cut off? Included, consider this oh, his no. his seminal work. It's true. It is what. You, there was a couple words that got um, cut out there. If you, oh, want, if you okay. want to just repeat what you said, no, I just well, I said I can understand now that uh, many, why many, yourself included, probably consider this Busema's seminal work. Yeah, but I mean, we're lucky enough to have something to compare against the Busema Alcala because you have in the A Witch Shall Be Born, you have uh, Busema with. A bunch of of different anchors. One of them has to be uh, Tony uh, DeZuniga, and it just doesn't. I mean, DeZuniga is great, but over he does something to Basima that it's 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 workaday. It's not. It, it's it's yeah. The 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 foundation is there, and DeZuniga does a, a good job, but it doesn't ascend. Like when Alfredo, Alfredo gets him. Right. You right. know, Pablo Marcos on Basima. Oh, God. Terrible. Terrible. Uh, even though Pablo Marcos is a, is a great artist, when, when, he, when he gets on Basima, he really doesn't know what to do. Or it doesn't look like he knows what to do. It's just Alfredo unlocks something in Basima that I, it doesn't appear anywhere else in, in Basima's Ovoir. With anybody else, there's not that magic spark that Alfredo seems to to eke out of Basima. I wish they. I I would have loved to see Alfredo ink him on the Avenger stuff. Like that would have been phenomenal, oh. right? Yeah. So, just just one thing before y'all. You you mentioned Pablo Marcos who who inked the this this the subsequent story in this book uh, at the Mountain of the Moon God. Yeah. Um, so while I don't prefer it to Alcala, I don't, I don't know that I could say like it was bad. You made it seem like it was bad. I, 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 I would never call it bad. Um, but well, you just said it was terrible. It was side by side, (laughs) side by side. Look at it. Yeah. I mean, we, we, we have the luxury of being able to compare them literally side by side and, Marcos no, you're right. Just, it is. It is. It's much less consistent. It's much less dimensional. Um, it's scratchy. The, the, 
Marcos. Yeah, the, is, the women's faces are much flatter. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's, you're right. Mar- no, Mar- you're right. You're right. Marcos has a tendency to pinch the nose and get yeah, characters yeah. wandering eyes. And it's just, I don't know. A, a, a Pablo Marcos woman to me was never really attractive. There's something misshapen mm-hmm. about his women that, um, yeah, um, I'm, I'm, it's not time to poop on Pablo Marcos. He's a great artist. No, no, no. It's no. just that when, in comparison to that team, it, no, no, everyone's going to suffer. It's just magic. It's, it, it's hard to, it can't be replicated. You can't do it. So, yeah, um, I sent you guys uh, a text piece written by Mark Evanier about, I loved uh, it. Uh, yeah, Alfredo Alcala. Uh, to, to just to summarize for the people at home, in the 70s when DC was looking for more hands on deck, they they were spying the uh, the Philippines, and, and they looked at the Filipino artists. And Joe Orlando had a sit down with Alfredo, and Orlando says, "Okay, buddy, um, how many pages can you do in a week?" And Alfredo says, 40. And Orlando's like. <laughs> Okay, you know, I, I don't think you know what we're looking for. In a week. In a week. <laughs> yeah. he, uh. he, he said, um, we're looking for, and he showed him some books. And he's like, we're looking for this kind of, kind of detail. And, he's, and Alfredo said, 40. And, and, and Orlando said, no, 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 wait a minute. You're going to pencil these, you're going to ink them, and you're going to letter them, right? And, and Alfredo says, yes. And, and, he, and then he showed him some work by... Kurt Swan, Joe Kubert, Neil Adams. He said, now that you see what we're looking for, how many pages can you do in a week? And Alfredo says, oh, okay, well, this changes things. And Orlando's like, okay, <laughs> now, then, you know, now I got you. How many can you, you do in a week? And Alfredo says, 80. <laughs> <laughs> Unbelievable. Shots fired. That's a serious Unbelievable. Shirt. And then when, when Alfredo did, you know, enter the D.C., realm he was kicking out a huge amount of pages so it's yeah it's really incredible it's it's amazing it's a great story and um nothing but the utmost respect for the filipino artists and many of them are in here including the one that i chose well kick it off then yeah nice segue i was extremely selfish in my pick because while it may not be the best story in the book, in terms of of uh, narrative and and visuals, and and that that beggars the imagination because to say that Alex Nino did not produce the best story in this book, this book contains Jim Starlin, Barry Windsor Smith, Alex Nino, John Basima. Uh, again, we went over it: Alfredo Alcala, Pablo Marcos. Like there is world class artists in this book. Um, to single uh, Gil Kane, I forgot one of the one of the biggest, right? To to single out one artist as being better than the next when you're talking about Gil Kane and Barry Windsor Smith, like how do you even argue that point? And Alex Nino, they're all amazing, legendary talents. But um, so selfishness, not because um, I love Alex Nino; he's one of my all-time favorite artists. But that's not why I'm selfish. I'm selfish because. <laughs> I chose chapter 11, People of the Dark, which what was... What page for our listeners? What page? 360. 360. Which was um, adapted by Roy Thomas from a story by Robert E. Howard 
uh, illustrated by Alex Nino and originally appeared in Savage Sword number six, June 1975. And the selfish part of me chose it because it is a part of Howard Phillips Lovecraft's Cthulhu mythology. It is a legit part of the mythology. Because, as I said, uh, Robert E. Howard and Lovecraft were friends. They would communicate via mail, back and forth, constantly. They were aware of what each uh, was doing, and Lovecraft wanted to contribute to, or sorry, Howard wanted to contribute to Lovecraft's shared world that he was building, so he included Lovecraft's Dagon in this story, which makes it part of the Cthulhu mythology. So that's where the selfishness comes in on my part. Uh, it, it's a great story. Um, it it starts as a, a tale of unrequited love. You have two men, Jim O'Brien and Richard Brent, and they're both enamored with a woman named Eleanor Rand. She of golden hair and deep gray eyes. And Eleanor, you know, she can't choose between the two dudes. They're both pretty awesome. You know, both handsome, both, both, you know, men that any woman would be happy to, to spend the rest of her, their lives with. Um, but she just can't choose. And, and Jim O'Brien says, all right. Okay. If, if she can't make up her mind, I'm going to make up her mind for her by removing the other player on the board. So I'll be the only one left. She'll fall head over heels in love with me because there's no competition and we will live happily ever after. So um, Jim knows that Richard is going to be exploring. He's going cave exploring into Dagon's cave. Bad idea, Richard. Just just bad. Um, and uh, Jim enters the, the mouth of the cave and is going looking for, for Richard. He's going to put a bullet in him. Aha! She's mine. And uh, the place, as is tradition in in both Robert E. Howard and Lovecraft stories, the place is a there's a foul legend attached to the place. It uh, purportedly is the stomping grounds of the little people, the people of the dark. Jim's in the cave. He's got the the, the torch. And he's got his gun, and he's he's looking around, and he he he's got this sense of dread. That, holy crap, I, I feel like I've been here before, but that's impossible. I've never been here before, you know? Um, and, and he looks around and he sees these, these uh, unsettling, otherworldly shapes carved into the stone, in the walls. The, the, these shapes for which there's no earthly basis. It's just typical Lovecraft. The, the, these shapes that conjure things that, Nothing, there's no analog in the mortal plane. And he keeps going. He must really love this woman because he, he traipses on and, and he, he gets to a, a, a series of steps. And the steps are very small. And they're, they're well-worn because this, this was a temple. Um, and, and he slips. And he tumbles. And the, the, the page that illustrates him, him tumbling is just ungodly it's magnificently illustrated by uh alex nino you get 
um, a, an actual descent. Uh, it starts off at the right-hand side of the page, which is kind of a no-no in, in English-speaking countries because we read left to right. Japanese read right to left. But So it starts off on the right, and, and old, old Jim is, is tumbling, and you see his, his body and contorted in many different ways and overlaid on a series of panels with his face shrieking. And it, it's just that, that Alex Nino cross hatching that he employs so beautifully yeah um and so so jim whacks his head on the stone ground once he lands he whacks his head and he's out he's out for the count when he when he wakes up when he comes to it's like nino illustrates it like a a fade with a craft tint he uses a horizontal line, zipatone, craft tint paper type thing. And he's not Jim O'Brien anymore. He's Conan. So and trippy. that's what makes this story very different from anything. Very different. In the book. Yep. Um, he wakes up as, as, as Conan and he's stunned. Not only because he hit his head, but he's like, wait a minute. What, what, the, what the hell is going on? He looks at his clothes and he's like, I'm almost naked. What the? I got a sword. What the? Heck? Whoa. I got muscles and a huge dick. He doesn't say that, but you can assume <laughs> that it's Conan. He's got a huge, huge member. And um, he, he, he dreams and he, he thinks of, of, of a battlefield. It's like, what is going on? He, he, he's, he receives visions of a war. Um, and, and here's a cool part. It's, it's the Aquilonians who are mentioned many times in, in Conan mythology. The Aquilonians and the Gundermen allied. And um, they put a, a, a fortress right on the border of Samaria, where obviously Conan is from. So Samaria didn't like that. They saw it as an affront. They're like, fuck you. This shit's stopping right now. So the Samarians much uh, fewer in number than this united Aquilonian um, Gunderman alliance. They storm the fortress and the Sumerians actually beat the fuck. They kill the, the soldiers, the, the, the united soldiers, and they, they, they take the fortress. And, and Conan is, is reliving this. And that double-page spread, my God, that is a thing of absolute savage mastery is it not it's gorgeous it's gorgeous the shit nino could put down on paper um i would he rivals kirby in a lot of respects uh, to me that's just completely subjective my opinion i i think nino is the the filipino kirby so wow. versatile so imaginative um he knows when to lean on the pen he knows when to relax the pen for the, the lines far in the distance. Like we see the tower and the lines are excruciatingly thin. Like it, it, this probably pushed the, the technology of printing to the limits back in the day. Because plate making was not as it is now. A, a, an ext extremely thin line like this would really be a struggle. The ink would gum up on the plate. They're just, it's just extremely thin. But he put, they pulled it off and it's just 
there's there's feathering on this thing. There's um, s- superb cross hatching by by Nino. There's that that scumble pattern that he liked to do. It's it's just amazing. It, it it's it's one of the quintessential Nino splashes, and that's saying a lot when you look at the work he did for. 1984, 1994 for Warren. Like he turned out ungodly work in his in his time. But anyway, so Conan sees this battle, and it's it, the 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 character, the identity of Jim O'Brien fades away after a while, and and he becomes Conan. And this is where the the story mirrors the framing sequence where Conan sees a woman. Her name's Tamara, she of golden hair. And deep gray eyes. Do you see what's going on here? And, and Conan pursues the woman. Unfortunately for Conan, she has a lover, and he's a gunderman named mm-hmm. named Garrick. And Conan knows him because the gundermen are scum, and he has had a, a, you know a prior incidents with this man. We can assume. So uh, Garrick's like, "Yo, Tamara." Run, get out of here. So she runs towards the forest, but instead of running into the forest, Crazy Lady runs into Dagon's cave. And, and while Garrick is fighting with Conan, he can't stop her from doing it. So she runs into the cave. Conan beats the crap out of uh, Garrick, but he doesn't kill him, which is, I don't want to say uncharacteristic for Conan. Conan kills when he has to. But in order to eliminate the competition, like Jim O'Brien, he should have killed him. But it plays out in the end why he didn't kill him. Um, so Conan pursues, uh, El- uh, not Eleanor, Tamara, <laughs> Freudian slip, Tama- <laughs> Tamara into the cave, and uh, Garrick regains his senses and, and goes too. And there's a point in the, in the story where there are two branching tunnels. Uh, Tamara and Garrick take one and Conan takes the other. And, and in the meantime, I mean, I'm getting ahead of myself. In the meantime, you see Dagon's temple, which is a very uncharacteristic rendition of Dagon, but cool nonetheless. I mean, I, I like the fact that uh, it's obvious that um, Nino did not read the the Cthulhu mythology because Dagon kind of doesn't look... Like that, but it's neat nonetheless. And and the acolytes that that inhabit the cave, um, they're a little bit too reptilian. I'm gonna pick an, a Lovecraft adaptation apart. They're, they're a little too reptilian. They should be more fish-like, but that's all right. It's it's Alex Nino. The creatures that attack Conan are cool. So that's all that matters, right? To me, right, anyway. Right, right. And it, and it mattered even less to me when I first read this as a kid. So it it's all good. Um, so these creatures are, um, attacking and they don't care whether Conan and, and Garrick and Tamara have, have things they need to be sussed out. They're attacking everyone. And Conan and Garrick decide to put things on the back burner and, and just team up and they hack the shit out of these creatures. Like they give it a valiant effort, but they're just outnumbered. There's just too many of these, these creatures. And that's when... They decide, you know, we, we got to split up. 
you take the girl, get her out of here. I'll, I'll hold these things off. And they, they, that's when they split off into the two branching tunnels. Unfortunately for Garrick and um, Tamara, they chose the path that would, would not offer them any kind of escape. Uh, it, there's a, uh, the ocean, the, there's a rushing waterfall through this uh, cave, and there's no way out for them. So the creatures are pursuing them to the point where they, they got the jump on them. They're, they're, they're going to, to kill them, and Tamara says, you know what, screw this. She just flings herself off the precipice and just she kills herself so as not to fall into the hands of of the the, the creatures because they they would have been used as sacrifice anyway and and uh conan did uh save them from that that fate and they weren't going to go down that road ever again so she she kills herself and, and as does garrick and which leaves conan the uh the opportunity to to escape and he does and and he regains consciousness but when he comes to He's not Conan anymore. He's Jim O'Brien. And this is the, the, the part of the story where it, it, it makes sense to me that Conan didn't kill Garrick because they both sacrificed themselves so as not to fall into the hands of these evil or despicable. Or, or not, I don't even know if I'd call them that. They're just acolytes of Dagon. They're just doing what they think is, is necessary. Um, and Conan, or Jim sorry, again, sacrifices himself in the framing sequence so that Tamara, not Tamara, cheap, Eleanor, <laughs> Eleanor and Richard can escape and live out the life that they, together, and, and he gives himself over. To, there's this, there's a, a Lovecraftian snake beast-like creature that somehow emerges into the, the, the his present day and he's fighting with it and it, it it lands on him it's giant and it crushes the wind out of him and he dies leaving the two the opportunity to to escape and it's so so the debt of the previous encounter was paid for by by jim and it's just it's 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 robert e howard but it's more lovecraft in that the 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 veil between space and time is so thin in this cave that um a, a then contemporary man could walk into it and be transported back into the the you know the time of Conan the, the Sumerian and and uh, enact this this the events that he will later pay for it's very cosmic and it's 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 very Lovecraftian, but like I said, they were buddies, and their Lovecraft or Howard probably said, "You know what? I'm gonna take a stab at this using my my, my dog Conan. Let, let me give it a shot." And I think he did a wonderful job. I think it's great. It's um, it, it would have been neat to see what Basima and and Alcala could have done with this story, but that's it's all good. It's Alex Nino. It's it's phenomenal. Um, very elaborate detailed inventive layouts just great figure drawing nino does things with weird shapes that i don't think anyone ever did previously or or after him the way he makes shapes in the background that when you pull back like the the, the one page where jim's entering the cave and you see his profile or not the cave he's um he's talking about you know i got my gun 
and it shows him and, and Eleanor, and then it shows Richard and Eleanor and him, and in, it looks like foliage up close, like leaves or, or maybe like a fern, but when you pull back, it's it's his face in the background. It's just magnificent. And mm-hmm. Nino did that a lot with with his work. He would never just there, there's never anything by the numbers with Alex Nino. I, I think that's why I love him so much. Yeah, I mean, it almost looks like negative space at times. That's yeah. what, right, exactly. That's exactly yes. what it is. Yeah. And instead of being a cliff with a lot of lush background, it's like the cliff is the white space, and he just drew the lush background yeah. behind all it just get you you get the line work of you get the outline of a cliff or or rushing water and you, you say if Bushima would have done this and i i just feel like it would have been a lot more straightforward and it would have i agree yeah, yeah, yeah. no it would have I, I, there's no but way it would, it would have been, it, it would have it would be neat to see uh, but i think the fact that this is uh <laughs> a, a modern day Conan's story, uh, it and because of the other elements, almost like a dream sequence, like this, like Jim is transported and Jim becomes Conan because he got hit on the head, and it's just it's it's one of those things where uh, Nino's work definitely yeah. is a huge benefit to 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 getting the the weirdness of yeah. the story across. I mean that that splash page. On three sixty six and three sixty seven, I would die to own that page. Right? Well, yeah, yeah. I mean, because you were saying that splash from the one I talked about was like when you're. I mean, again, I mean, all things being equal, I would I would prefer to own Busema art because that's my guy. But like that splash page, dude, like it's yep. it's it's, it's freaking. I mean, it is a true work of art. It's it sick, is ridiculous. It's sick, and that's what I'm trying to get at. Savage Sword. That the, the 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 level at which we're t- about which we're talking was commonplace in Savage. Yeah, Story. no, you're right. No, I mean that was the thing. The one thing you say about this book: dense, sure, you know, long, sure. But it it is really a wonderful. You could just treat it like an art book. You know what I mean? I mean, it, it, this particular form factor doesn't lend to that because it's a a soft cover trade. But I mean, but but uh, man, if you you know, you hand the same five hundred plus pages to Toshin, yeah. You know, or to IW even with the with the yep. their their archival, and you say, you know, go to work. I mean, this could be an eleven by seventeen coffee oh table book God. that would stun. You know I mean, what? It the, would stun. Now that you bring it up, I think I, it would be awesome. I don't even know if they've done it because I don't keep my eye on the artist editions, but. Has there been? No, they haven't. No. Oh my God! Can you imagine a Basima Alcala artist edition? Oh, dude, I know. Ooh, no, I know. No, and you know, with Nino, it's it's interesting because uh, when I was reading the story, because I, you know, because you said you were going to talk about it, it it, it seems like uh, he doesn't. T- I mean, maybe you know this or not. That, like he doesn't. This isn't like pencils on inks. It's almost like it's just him, right? Like like yeah. I don't know that there's pencils underneath a lot of this, right? Oh, I'm sure he penciled. Yeah. Okay. Okay. Yeah. Oh yeah. I, I think. Well, looking I don't know. At the it's comp- not like it, uh, <laughs> um, it's not like. Uh, oh my God! Why am I why am I blanking on his name? Homeboy, you, uh, Jason, you, you, the the, the hardcover book at, at New York Comic Con. The the the. <laughs> God damn it! The Asian dude. The Asian dude. 
You got the the not, not the racket raccoon, but you you know who I'm talking about. This oh, is crazy. Kim. oh, Kim. Yes, yes, yes. He what doesn't. Who? He just he goes right to work with 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 Penn. Who? Kim. Kim Jong Oh, Kim Jong Ji. Oh, yes. Yes. yes, 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 yeah, yeah, for sure, for sure. But yep. I'm, I would think, judging by the complexity of the layouts, he had to have pencil. No, you're probably right. I'm just, but do you know what I mean though? Like, right. like certain pages though, it just looks like he just took because a pen. It's, yeah, it's so spontaneous. Oh, yeah, because yeah. and and he didn't he didn't lift the, that 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 brush that pen nib didn't exactly didn't, didn't leave the yeah. page until the end of it. Right. He's not embellishing someone else, and I and I do think it's a distinction because. In today's day and age, especially, in fact, I mean, some of our younger listeners are probably more used to than not uh, with digital and whatnot, pencilers being their own inkers. Um, this doesn't look to me like that. Like this doesn't – you're probably right, Vince. I mean, in fact, you, you likely are right. But but to me, this looks like a guy that's a master of his craft, that's doing his own work, and he's just laying the br- – he's laying the brush down. He's just taking care of business. He's not – like he's not worrying about – laying down tight pencils for someone else to go over because it's him. So I'm sure there were pencils, but I just, I feel like, man, the dude just, I mean, like I, I go back to the double page splash. I mean that, that the castle turret, yes. it's so subtle. Yeah. I mean, you know, again, I, I don't know. Um, it's funny that I, that this is the second time I'm going to bring up tattoos, but one of the things I think that make a great tattoo is, uh, leaving open skin, right? Like letting the open skin work is like white space in the, in the, in, in the tattoo. Versus some novice tattooers just try and pack ink into it, a hundred percent, and it 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 doesn't it doesn't age as well. Whereas if you use the skin as part of the tapestry, it'll look more natural. That 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 turret is like almost all white. It's almost all page. Yep. He just uses the most tiny, subtle of lines to show you that it's a turret. Like there was very little ink there, and yet it's incredibly detailed and illustrative, and there's no mistaking what it is. Like that's insane. Like looks, that is it, so ridiculous. Yeah, it looks to me like there's a light coming from heaven. Yes, that's yes. just uh, that this intense light just spotlighting the the turret, and in the foreground you get the meat, you get the muck, and the 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 gore, and the, the just yeah. the brutality. And Looking at this story, it makes you want to like if you're ever around someone and they're like, "Oh, I don't know who Alex Nino is," it makes you want to slap them in the face. Seriously, <laughs> am I right? Yeah, right. Yeah, it's like what top ten for me? Definitely top ten. Yeah, it's 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 dumb. And did you um, know that he did a story for 1984? Say it was maybe 12 pages. It's all one panel. Oh right. Oh really? Yeah. You and and you don't know as you're. Mm-hmm. I mean, you you don't get the the gist of it as you're reading. It looks like okay. Here's the first page. Splash. You, mm-hmm. you, you turn the page, it's a double page splash, and then another double page splash, yeah. and another. It's all one friggin' panel. I, I'm going to ask when we're at Heroes in two weeks. What, what? Um, when I was looking at the story, I thought that uh, two essential sequential artists came to mind Panosian and Kennedy. I, I, I have to think both were extremely influenced by Nino in their own ways. Hmm. We got, we got I, to keeping ask. in mind that. Keeping in mind that, I mean, Kennedy's form that you'd see now is different. But as I look at his work over the years, uh, and, and and also Kennedy is is uh, Filipino as well. Um, I, I just I don't know. I, I see both. I see I see both. Both I see I see Nino in both of their work. Okay. It's weird. I'm not trying I, to say I, it's as good as Nino or as no. Oh no, I get it. 
I don't see anyone that has an approach to visualization like Alex Nino. I think he's a singular entity. There's, to my and eyes, cross-hatching too. Yeah, I like, can't. I can't find anybody that compares to him, or or that that walks that same path to get to you know to solve the problems. There's there's some guys that do cross-hatching really well. They don't do it like Alex Nino. Yeah. You know, there there's some guys that I mean, he he doesn't. There there's a huge amount of detail in Nino's work. But he does. He's not extravagant with his line. Some of the 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 facial features in this book, they're just the bare minimum of lines. Yep. Look at page three eighty one. Um, the middle panel where he's like, "Then I halted and swore beneath my breath." It's just a series of dots. Conan's face is just yep. a series of dots in that yep. middle panel. Yep. But at no point, as you're looking at it, do you mistake that it's it's Conan? And not only do you know that it's Conan, but it's Conan with an emotive face that's showing you regret yep and uh that is not an easy thing to do mm, nope definitely not yeah you picked a good one it was a mess hell yeah dap which nice. one'd you go with i guess i know <laughs> I, I, oh, I would hope you know it's, uh I, I think we're all a bit selfish to uh some degree this evening this is uh from Savage Tales, number four. Savage Tales featuring Conan the Barbarian. Number four from May 1974 with a cover by Neil Adams. This is Night of the Dark God, written naturally by Roy Thomas. Listed in your credits is Gil Kane as your artist. Neil Adams, Pablo Marcos, and Vince Coletta with one T as your inkers. I guess he erased the T. So you have <laughs> you very funny. <laughs> um, this is this is Gil Kane figures with Neil Adams faces. Yeah. Uh, talk about foreshadowing and some uh, and and there's definitely finishing the figure work is Pablo uh, as well as some backgrounds. And unfortunately, uh, Coletta inks the latter pages <laughs> of this story. So ironic that you picked one of the Coletta inks. I know, but it's it's because. Did you say what uh, page it starts on? Sorry, I'm sorry. This this uh, the cover is is on page uh, eighty. The story actually starts on page eighty one. Uh, the I heard this. Kane story over the one later in the book. Uh, this was a little bit more straightforward, and because it's yes, it's it's bittersweet in that it is Gil Kane and it's Coletta. But uh, I kind of wish that the collaborators kind of switched things around because there, there's action towards the end of this particular story and. That is definitely, in this case, not Calypso's strong suit because there are um, images that do not have the oomph they should have uh, because of things that are bluntly are missing. But the story is basically uh, Conan is looking for a boat 
he's looking to find he, he he's he's on the search for for someone we find out a friend from childhood uh he comes across a fisherman and he tells the fisherman quite bluntly i need your boat uh the fisherman is is really in no mood and isn't ready to give his boat up um but Conan really isn't going to take no for an answer. They have a, a short little exchange um, where the fisherman tells Conan that there was a cargo ship that uh, went by recently. There was no one, there was no cargo save for one lone captive girl. And, and he kind of drifts off and he realizes that, that that's probably why Conan is, is, not even requesting, but demanding a boat uh, so he can go and he can go after this girl. Um, the uh, Conan does pay for the boat, says he'll return it. Um, if uh, if I come back, you know, the boat will be yours again. But um, otherwise, take these shekels to, to buy a new boat. Um while he is sailing the uh, the, the not so calm sea, he's uh, his mind drifts and he thinks about the girl he the woman he is uh, he is looking for. Um, thinking back on his childhood, uh, there was a um, there were uh, they would have fun when they were younger, laughing, playing, but. Um, when it came time for him to um, to go away and 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 do what he's got to do, um, it's basically there's some regret there. There's there's love lost, and uh, we see a nice splash page. Definitely, this is where you can see that Gilkane laid the um, the line work down. A splash page of um, of as the years gone by, all the marvels. That Conan has uh, has seen the many deaths he nearly died, um, flesh devouring apes, grim gray gods, uh, the bone crushing grip of a man headed serpent, um, beneath the undead gaze of star spawned horror. Uh, there's just been many, many things that uh, he has seen over the years that uh, he would not have experienced had he uh, stayed back home. Um, after one particular battle, he heads home, um, thinking about uh, Mara, only to find out that uh, his... Um, his his home is ravaged. Uh, the red-haired... Raiders out of uh, Vanaheim had crossed the border and uh, raped and ravaged and destroyed. Um, her parents, Mara's parents, let Conan know that um, she's gone, that uh, she was taken north by the veneer for, uh, for their sport. Um, and kind of twisting the knife a little bit, making him feel ever so more guilty, uh, Mom lets uh, Conan know that um, often she had spoke of you. So mm. 
feeling that uh, he's got to do what he's got to do and and uh, to save his friend, he uh, he heads out and um, we're all caught up now. This is uh, he, he's on the boat. He finds a another vessel where um, there are about uh, half a dozen dead men. Um, the veneer are lying lifeless on the deck, but there is a um, there is a a statue. A um, basically, this is what the uh, the Pictish warriors died to protect. Uh, it is a um, it's it seems to be somewhat of an antique. Uh, it actually is related to uh, it, it. It has some um, relation to. Cull, which is another Howard creation. Um, Conan is quite surprised that he's able to lift it so easily because it looks much heavier uh, than it actually is. Plops it on his boat, his new boat, and um, is still on his way to the uh, Isle of Swords. He docks his boat ashore and um, heads towards... uh, here's, Here's a celebration of uh, the veneer back home and uh, is making his way there. Unfortunately, he is um, startled by two, uh, two men who were struggling with the same statue that uh, Conan was very, was was able to lift with, with ease. And uh, I love that part. One of the, the, between the two of them, they're quite clumsy. One drops it on his foot and it turns out that, uh, didn't take long for his foot to start bleeding like a butchered hog. Uh, and he, he decides to, to exact revenge on the statue and, and goes to uh, swing his sword at uh, the statue's head. And, and the, sh- the sword shatters into uh, many, many pieces. And it doesn't even look like it was scratched. So they continue to struggle to bring this thing uh, to the celebration. Uh, and this is where I was referring to uh, earlier, where this is where I think Roy Thomas uh, shines to some degree in these stories. Uh, there's uh, Conan is 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 found. He uh, someone sees him lurking about, um, goes to attack Conan. Conan uh, swings the dagger away from. Um, from the uh, the would-be attacker. And um, Conan then yokes him up with his left hand. And and this is, there are, you know, whether it's John Byrne, whether it's George Perez, whether everybody has has their go-to. Every, I'm sorry, every, everybody from a certain era, more or less, because you don't really see it too often these days. But there are some artists who who kind of just have they're uh, a few things ready in their holster that 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 they whip out to move the story along and in this case this is this is this uh, this this guy's reaction to being uh choked by Conan uh and Conan just takes the life out of this individual uh with one hand and we find out that uh, Conan will never know that this is the very rogue who years ago slew the fisherman's wife in that exchange earlier 
that Conan had with the fisherman, uh, the fisherman's heart went out to our barbarian because he also had lost a loved one. Uh, the veneer had taken his wife and uh, had their way with her and killed her. So he, um, there's definitely a connection the fisherman shared with Conan. So uh, Conan exacted revenge on behalf of the fisherman and um, continuing on to the celebration, we see, we see Mara daughter of uh, Hafgar of the Hillman. And uh, she's, um, she's quite sad and uh, all because Thorful is uh, wants to make her his bride. And um, she's either going to be his wife or his slave. They, he demands that uh, she marry him. He even calls the priest over. Uh, he asks, are you, um, are you willing to marry this man? Are, are you going to, do you wish to marry him willingly? And uh, she's like, you know, I don't. And um, they struck down kinsmen who would have saved me. And, uh, and, and Thorful, who, it's weird. His name is Thor, F-N-N-F-E-L. It's all one word, but he is wearing a winged helmet. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and there's also a few other uh, names thrown about in this story that uh, might be reminiscent to uh, other warriors that uh, you may be familiar with. But um, the, the statue is also in the room after uh, these two lumbering oaks finally brought it in to uh, join the celebration. Um, Thorful, um, and this is where it's obvious that, uh, Coletta had, had had joined in on the fun, but Thorful smacks Amara. Um, she she lets him know, "I will never marry you." Uh, she's like, "I'm not. I'm not going to be a slave or your wife." She picks up a dagger, plunges it into her breast, and slowly the life seeps out of her. Mm-hmm. Um, at that moment, Conan has. Uh, decided to leap into action uh, and starts fighting off all of uh, as many veneer as, as, as make their way toward him. He, um, he hacks and slashes and, and, and makes his way through the fray uh, all while Thorful is, is, is kind of just hanging back watching, waiting, uh, not necessarily waiting for an opportunity to strike, but just uh, probably waiting for Conan to tire somewhat, um, which apparently He's never seen Conan fight because Conan really isn't one too tire. And uh, there's there's a couple of pages of action of just Conan making his way through everybody uh, with the Dark God statue looking on. Um, Thor finally makes his way to Mara. They they have uh, she she says her final words to him, and uh, at that moment. Conan has uh, had all he can take. He sees Thorful, Thorful the Fair, in distance. Um, Thorful is no coward, according to Thomas. In his day, he has stood laughing amid murder and mayhem, while arrows 
slices the air about his head. Yet he knows a man in the grip of a berserker rage when he sees one, a man who fears nothing, not even death itself. So Thorful is not laughing now, and Conan throws his broadsword, which makes its way, it finds its way, its mark in Thorful's shoulder and collarbone and oh, jaw. And panel. it it is it it could be so much better. It is a gray panel. Uh, but Thorful will never laugh again. And um Conan is is not in any mood whatsoever. Uh, but it turns out while Thor was fighting the veneer, the picked who were all, who seemed so lifeless on the boat earlier when Thor grabbed the statue, um, they rushed in and, and uh, helped Thor vanquish the, uh, the kidnappers, the pillagers, the, the, the rapers, the ravagers, um, and and the picked also are able to pick the statue up um, as if it's made of nothing but feather. Uh, but the um, the dark god saved uh, Conan saved the dark god by rescuing it from their boat, so nothing um, no harm would come to it, and therefore um, no harm came to Conan because the statue protected him as well. Uh, so now everybody's going home. Uh, Thor is going to bring Mara home so she can uh, be laid to rest. And it's, it's not a, it's, it's, it's one of the more solemn stories. Um, not that all of the stories in this book are, are happy go lucky, but uh, it's, I, I like this story because it's, it, it kind of grounds Conan and it, 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 want to say humanizes him but it it there's you know he's not just somebody who runs around and because you read the first story with valeria and it's like okay he's just he's gonna take what he wants and and he and he's manhandling this woman and and he's he's very brutish and crude but there there was actually when when conan was younger and and had friends uh he he may have thought about other things and and uh they're just in one in this particular case one other thing was taken from him and uh it's it's a story that that i definitely enjoy um and i i love gil Kane figures um but there's just there's there's and i it's, well, I don't. I, before you move on, I yeah. just I just want to add, Conan doesn't get the girl. He doesn't. No, he doesn't. He doesn't solve the problem. No. He gets there too late. Yep. Yeah. And and that's you don't see that happen a whole lot of times, in in all the stories. Like uh, he he'll screw up, and not accomplish what he set out to do. But in this instance, he just. He just didn't get there in time. Right, yeah, I mean, he could be in other stories. He's stubborn, or he's he's, yeah. he's too proud, and he won't listen to reason. And and it may work out for him, or he'll get captured and end up, you know, hurting himself to to set things right. But here, like you said, he 
he got there late. He, he was out of his hands. Late. He couldn't do a thing about it. Yeah. Right. Um, but it's there. There are just there are a lot of things in this in the story that that I really, really like. And um, yeah, I after going through the book and and we all decided to pick a story. I this one was just one of those. It it it, it also I think reminded me of um, the uh, more in tune of of what I was getting out of out of the monthly comic book stories from Conan is this, whereas there's a lot more, um, mysticism, uh, with some of the other stories, this, this is not like the black Colossus where, where, where magic is involved in 3000 year old mummies. This is, this, this is more of a, I mean, with the exception of, of the statue that, crazy light if you're good-hearted it, it's just one of those things where it's it's more um it's 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 straightforward it's it's you know guys trying to rescue girl um there are some really really bad, and this is a story where you know i mean the, the, these the, the veneer could be a banker gang and you know this yeah conan it's just you know the guy from the malt shop trying to rescue his girlfriend it's just uh-huh. it, it's just you no know, there are just it's not a it's not a new story. It's not. A, it, it's, but it's still. Um, it it makes you feel for Conan a little bit more than than you would have in in most of his other stories where he's you know I went up and I I kill a saber toothed tiger and and I'm wearing his pelt and more wine for the women. It's just that this is a this is more of a of a story that that kind of gets to me on a different level than than, than most Conan stories. Mm-hmm. Yeah. What what I what I also noticed about the story, uh, and it feels so right that you picked it, is of the three that we've discussed, and I would say even looking through the rest of the book within this book, this is the most inky of the stories. Like there is a tremendous amount of spotted black in this story. Yeah. yeah. And very little shading. Like no tone. Yeah. Really. It's it's black and white. Mm-hmm. Uh, like like Conan's hair. I mean, right? Like Conan's hair is just pure black whenever it's drawn and, and like, and, uh, it just, it's, it strikes me as the kind of art I've come to know you to love. You know what I mean? Like you, you love, you love spotted black when it's done well. And <laughs> But I gotta say, I don't think any of the anchors do Gil any, any favor. No, they do not. No. Wait, I'm say that again. You caught off. What did you say? I, I don't think any of the anchors did Gil Kane any favors because yeah. Neil Adams is way too heavy handed. Mm-hmm. The the w- being a Gil Kane fan and anyone who has seen his work knows how Gil constructs the human face. These are not Gil Kane faces. Nope. Well, there's a particular panel on page eighty-eight, um, it, the bottom left panel of Co- it's just Conan's face side profile. Mm-hmm. Like you see, this huge, heavy, dark black lines, like yeah. outlining the nose and face and stuff, and yeah, no. that certainly doesn't look like Kane. No. no, and and you can tell who inked what because on page ninety three, that first panel, that tells oh. me that tells me Vinny inked this page. Oh yeah, That's no, Vinny inked for sure. There yeah. is there is a um, there's one um, page ninety five, uh, Thorful's arm in the first panel, um, her f- face in the second. Mm-hmm. That's all collected. Even even the next, I mean, the the last handful of pages are there's. 
I don't know what the hell's going on with Conan's face on page 97. There's th- th- when, when you had earlier in the book, earlier in the story, you had uh, defined arms and, and, right, right. and musculature that, that slowly just starts to go away um, yeah. as you near the end of the story. There's, but but um, I got to say, and I'm not trying to lose you as a friend, <laughs> aside from the splash, which was, I'm guessing, inked by Pablo Marcos. The one where... I guess, I'd guess that too. Conan's fighting the ape, and you see yep. the, the elephant from Tower of the Elephant, blah, blah, blah. Mm-hmm. That's a decent page. I think out of the three inkers that embellished this, Vinny was the best in terms of keeping Gil Kane intact. Dead I would... I, no, <laughs> no, 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 no. Because I... It's, it's I I don't I I don't disagree. There's yes he 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 kept more Gill definitely than Neil did. I don't I don't think Neil did any any bodies or backgrounds. I think Neil was just here, like Kurt Swan on Jack Kirby when mm-hmm. he had to draw any Superman faces. Mm-hmm. Right. This was just that that Neil was just here to make Conan handsome and the women pretty and. Because the bodies, with with the feet, the way they're laid out, and 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 the stances, and the arms swinging back, that's all Gill. And and whoever wanted to ink that kept it looking like a Gill figure. But the um, I I think yeah I, I think Pablo did some great work. Um, this issue, this story though, was apparently colored. Um, so I'd like to see the difference between well, for, the finished colored and what. It says um, Bell Seusser, colorist. It does, yeah. Isn't yeah it? That's weird because it mu- they must have shot from a reprint because Savage Sword or um, Savage so Tales was was brawl. black and white. Yeah, so I'm. I'm, I'm Could this be curious. from this from a super special? But it or right, okay, so yes, yeah, so they 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 reprinted it as as a co- and then colored it. And that—that's the version. Those mm. are the bits that I guess Dark Horse. Yeah. Okay. Um, because issue two of, of Savage Tales is is black and damn white. <laughs> damn it. Um, no, I think you know i I've seen I've seen Guild draw Conan. I've, I've I've seen covers. I've seen you know it, it's not unusual, but to see um, his covers on the monthly are awesome. Yeah. And, yeah. I, and and I mean and, and the John Carters and and the uh, I mean there's I there are you know I mean surprisingly it's weird it's a Gil Kane story and, and there's no snakes so <laughs> uh, there, there's there's that, none of that the snake you mean <laughs> that's funny you know, one, one snake uh, but no I think it, it's the um, I think it's 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 a different story than. It's definitely different than than the other two we talked about this evening, but um, yeah, it's it just it's not a bad story. It's a good story. No, 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 no. Yeah, yeah, no. I think I I I like the story. Um, there are just yeah, it's it's weird. I, I I would have liked to have seen more Gokane on the yeah. page. 
Well, um, regardless of the anchor, I mean, mm-hmm. but but in this case, I I do I do appreciate that Gil had anchors because I don't I don't know if this would have worked as well if if he got to keep his his thick black line if he got to ink himself. I I, I think in this particular story, especially when 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 Conan is making his way after he he lands the boat ashore and and he's making his way to to Thorfell's hideout. Um, you know, there's like, like the log cabin in the background, things like that. There are, um, there are things that need, I, I felt benefited from a, um, an embellisher's hand. So, um, I, it's, it's not a, it's not an ugly story. It's just that, that, that there, you can see as, as, as you thumb through each, each page of this story um, where some makers took liberties, but I, I, I like this. I, I think I, it's odd that you should pick the most erratic and inconsistent of the, the three. I do find that fascinating just because yeah. he's such a, an inker fan. Yep. I have range. You do have range. <laughs> mm. um, in closing, um, before we uh, get to the the other stuff, um, I gotta say I question Dark Horse's whoever was the editor on this thing. I don't even know. Uh, does it say who edited this? Um, editors Matt Dreyer and Ryan Jorgensen. Uh, art director is Leah Ribacci. I gotta say you, you don't have any taste. Because if you wow. if you put a Boris Vallejo cover on this thing, and I know Boris did some of the the cover art for the first ten issues, blah blah blah, but Boris is the least appealing mm-hmm. cover artist to me. Like, you know, th- you had Neil Adams to choose from, and, and yeah, uh, and, you know, Alex Nino. Uh, I don't know. Boris is just not. He's not my go-to when it comes sure. to to Conan. And uh, I think out of all the, the Boris covers that he did do for this, they picked the weakest one to go with the cover. It's okay. Doesn't, doesn't, it's not a judge a book by its cover. And then they have Boris on the back, too. Enough with the Boris. All about that Boris life. No. No. He ain't all that. He ain't all that. Shit. But, but you, you, you're on record saying this is, this is just like your holy grail your your top stuff so um you know one of the it's it's fascinating one of the coolest things about these book of the months thus far is in most cases we've had very different approaches to the work sure uh sometimes it, it's sim- it simply as some of us like it and some of us don't um but in others it's often been that that one of us is intimately familiar and read it off the shelves Whereas another one or two of us have more recently experienced it or are experiencing it for the first time. So that's uh it's pretty neat. It's the honey. It's it's the mana right there. Aww. Yeah, Aww. It's, it's the good stuff. if we all yeah. if we all were like, ah, this sucks, or hey, this is great, that's not fun. Mm-hmm. You know? I, I honestly am thrilled that we that we got to read this. I, I think it's uh um it's certainly wordy, but I don't think at its expense. Um, 
Like, I don't think this ages anywhere near as poorly as a lot of the 70s and 80s superhero comics that I have reread. Um, and I think part of it is that there's just not a lot of ex- expository dialogue. You know? Yeah. It, it's, it's, I mean, there's a lot of dialogue, but it's, it's people speaking. It's not reminding you who they are and why they're there and all that sort of stuff. So, mm-hmm. um, but then beyond that, I mean, just, just purely for the art, um, I think it is a shame that the Filipino masters have been, um, with the passage of time, I think downplayed. Yeah. Somewhat uh, forgotten. Not, not, be, not because not intentionally. So just, just time, time passes and the young bucks don't know, you know? Um, and, and my final thought on this, and I'll leave it to you guys to have your final thoughts is that, uh, Speaking of Filipino masters, Mr. Rudy Nebris will be at HeroesCon. Nice. And um, all these guys were so insanely talented and so ridiculously underpaid, by the way. They were paid peanuts, basically. Um, If you're coming to Heroes with us, make sure you stop by and shake Mr. Nebris's hand. If for no other reason than just the good karma energy of, uh, you know, this insane... I mean, for those that don't know, I mean... Google Phil- the Philippines and what a small country it is, and and then understand the statistical likelihood that this many powerhouses of a whole era of American comics would have been from that small place. Yep. It's pretty much unheard of. The Bronze so. Age would be, yeah. um, very very diminished yep. in 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 magnitude without the Filipinos. Yep. Yep. And uh, I assume Alfredo Alcala's passed on. Is that? Yeah, yeah. I mean, that's another guy that I would I would love to have had a chance to meet. I I have met Rudy. Me too. Yeah, me yeah. too. And uh, and uh, and and uh, and Alex Nino. Yes, that's right. We have we did. Yes. Um, but I would love if if Rudy's doing commissions at Heroes. Maybe I'll I'll take a bite. You know, it's interesting. I don't know if he is drawing at the show. I do know for a fact that he does still do commissions because I've seen them and different groups that I'm in and uh, they're beautiful. And by the way, he is 81 years old. Yep. God bless him. Yep. Any final thoughts from you two? Yep. Um, I think this is, I'm glad I got to read the stories that were in this book. Um, my familiarity with the character is based on, on the monthly comics. So that's um, reading an anthology based collection of the character. Um, kind of put things in, in a little bit of a different light. And, and I, I'm glad to have done that. It, it's, this is one of those books where I wouldn't sit down and read through start to finish cover to cover. I would need just like that Hemmet book. I'd need breaks from time to time, but it's still if 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 you're if you have any passing familiarity with 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 Conan the Barbarian, um, I would recommend this. And I don't know I based on the later volumes, Vince. I mean, I'm, I'm guessing I'm going to guess that. 
you can kind of if, if you see like volume six or seven you can just kind of pick those up and read along with it without yeah oh i didn't get the first five i'm gonna be lost you can no, just, no, no, no no okay Mm-mm. yeah no i if if you find them i know that dark horse had a memorial day sale and i think uh, i know this volume was half off um i i you know i, I don't but i kind of want to see if, if if i see any at um I, I at least want to flip through them at heroes if i see one um because I, I i read it digitally so i, I want to um i, I kind of want to see it on the paper but it's um it's no i i i think um well sometimes i think that that's fitting yeah for something like that's this i don't was, think you know so the stuff they they published it on originally why not right yeah no i i definitely i i recommend it it, it was i'm i'm glad folks ordered for it um and I, it's, it, it was nice to see. I, I think it kind of, I, I like Bushima Avengers, but I think it kind of shows where, um, what he preferred. I, I don't think, I, I don't think it's easy to, it, it, it's not hard to figure out what he had a preference towards, but, mm-hmm. uh, but, but the versatility in that man to do superheroes yeah and then like and then just slide back into doing th- this this period piece yeah. where it where it's very demanding on an illustrator you have to do um res- i don't know you know the research the, the the types of of clothing that they wore or or would have worn or to extrapolate on the races that we do know existed and apply them to these these fictitious peoples and just you know egypt and um lovecraftian gods and just uh, like basima was incredibly versatile and i don't i don't think he gets that that kind of credit like oh yeah basima's avengers was was popping he's great or or his conan was magnificent but he did both like there's not many guys on the planet that can do both that kind of those kind of works are they're they're demanding but in so very different ways and it's amazing and i don't know that's why there's one higher notch on my beloved list and that's warren eerie creepy vampirella that stuff that's the only step up i i i'll go but marvel's black and white magazines and savage sword was it was the crown jewel for a lot of years. It, it was the one that lasted long after the the original salvo of, of magazines ended. And and for, for good reason, because the work that these guys were producing was phenomenal. Not to say that, you know, the stuff in Monsters Unleashed and Planet of the Apes wasn't phenomenal. It's just that the, the sword and sorcery stuff clicked with Conan. Um, there was a... a, a a tidal wave of, of Conan stuff in the seventies. Um, and this is the best that Marvel ever mustered. I think in a group. Yeah. Kirby's King, but, mm-hmm. but this stuff is just amazing, amazing world-class stuff. It's the bar. It sets the bar for me. So, yeah. All right. Uh, we want to talk about a pair of books that were released today. Today. Yes, I don't think we should spoil anything because, like we said, they came out today. 
One's almost the ending, <laughs> and one is almost the beginning. How are we going to talk about these without spoiling them? You can... Well, in, in, in Man of Steel, there's really not a whole lot to spoil. And in, in Ama- Man of Steel number one is what we're talking about from DC, and Amazing Spider-Man 800 from Marvel. And um, you could talk about that issue without talking about certain things, I think. Well, it might take the wind out of Jason's sails. I don't think... Jason, um, <laughs> you, you said you loved Amazing Spider-Man 800. Why, why don't you tell us why you loved it? <laughs> Wait a second. Hold on. <laughs> um, I, I think it's far rarer than Vince likes to joke when we are on complete opposite ends of a book. Mm-hmm. And I shouldn't be the one to talk about ASM 800 for a few reasons. One, uh, it's no secret that I am not the Spider-Man acolyte that you two are. Number two, I am not up to date going into this issue. I read the first two issues of the post-CEO Pete status quo where he was showing out on black cats uh, or mockingbirds couch and uh that was cool and stuff but but i i haven't read any of the issues in from that to here uh and three i shouldn't be the one to talk about this book because i thought it was pretty shitty it does does not compute brother it really it doesn't. doesn't it doesn't and just for the record since i know i'm two versus one Mario texted me and said he 100% agrees with me. Oh. Now, see, that, I find that surprising because Mario is is a big Spider-Man mark like like David and myself. Yes. So to His issues with it are the same as mine, but I'll let you guys speak on but, it. No, 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 no. Okay. It, it's the culmination of the, the go-down swinging arc with, with one epilogue left, 801. This is where it all comes to a head. Peter versus Norman, uh, the Red Goblin, and... Without giving too much away, I think Slot did a great job of embracing the character of Peter Parker while giving longtime readers a a couple of nice, fun tips of the hats to everything that has come before, not only in his run, but in other runs as well. Um I just think it was a letter to his, a love letter to the, to the character and to the fans. I, I don't want to say it was flawless. That Oof. that that's a ridiculous. Good, it wasn't. But, no, 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 no. It wasn't flawless. But no. see, see, I don't, I don't like to. We're going to get into a, a whole big discussion about what it means to to judge something as having flaws based on whose perspective. Right, based on your perspective, well, whoever's talking re- about it. <laughs> right, that's what I mean. So, so your flawed is 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 far different than my flawed is is different than David's flawed. So, there's no baseline. Is what I'm saying. To to say something is flawed means you didn't get out of it what you expected to get out of it. Right. Well, we've talked about this a million times. There are structural aspects to telling a story that can be successful or not yes. that are more objective and, than subjective and sure i think in this case most of my criticisms are subjective 
No, no. I don't know about that because I think the storytelling in this is is damn skippy. It's no, it's, that's it, I'm agreeing with you. You just heard, I, I said most of my criticisms are subjective, meaning okay, I take okay. issue with the choices made, not the not the execution of the craft. And and I will concede just a teensy teensy little bit that there are things in this issue that pop up seemingly out of nowhere, which is Correct. which is okay in my book when. And this is a spoiler, a slight spoiler. When when J. Jonah Jameson just manages to find a workable spider slayer. Yeah, you like that? Yes, and brings it into battle. That makes my heart sing. I don't I'm I'm not analyzing it saying it oh well, well wait a minute, wait a minute. Logistically, the fact that Jonah just somehow manages to find a spider slayer and it's operative and he knows how to use it. And it finds its way into battle just in the right time. Like, I don't care about all that. It's Jonah in a spider slayer. And that works for me. That that makes my soul sing. Because that is part and parcel of the Spider-Man mythology. It works. We haven't seen Jonah in a spider slayer for a long damn time. Mm-hmm. The brain trust days, right, Dad? At least, yeah. Yeah. So, I mean, yeah, it doesn't, doesn't make an entire sense in terms of the story not completely but it doesn't have to suspension of disbelief this is fun this is the fun stuff i i i'm going to be hard pressed to not give 800 my best single issue of the year come wow. ele- come come 11 o'clock i loved Oof. everything about it the, the epilogue was a big bit confusing i don't know who that person is <laughs> I, ne- I never seen him before, but big picture, I thought Slot did a phenomenal job. I thought it was amazing, as as the the title says. I I, I know I get a sense Dab enjoyed it as well. Let me just I'll just get a I'll just get my two cents in, and and then I'll y'all gosh because I I don't want to crap on something that I'm sure most people love too much. Um, for me. And this is again a me thing, not a it thing. I don't. I understand why these anniversary issues have a ton of different artists, and I understand since this is Slot's last issue, a lot of these guys were the the main art teams on his very long run. I get all that, but I I find it off putting to see six pencil ink teams on a one continuous story. I, I think that are very, very different artists. Uh, many of which I like in, unto themselves. Um, but for me, I, I don't think when you combine them all together, it serves the story well. Um, and, and again, I, your mileage may vary there, but for me, that's a, that's a problem. Um, two. And, and, and again, these are most, most of these things are going to sound like me things. So, so that's why I put them out there. Um, I didn't realize we had, Adopted the movie thing where Aunt May's a hottie, because um, in <laughs> this she's on the artist. In these she's she's got a, a real a real tight and right 2018 do, and she's fit and trim, and she doesn't have wrinkles. And I know that's uh, kind of how she is in the movies, but but I didn't know that that's how they'd gone to in in this book. Um, it's been a trend for a while. Okay, three. You can get the flock out of here with this goblin child nonsense. <laughs> um, especially when he says you can call me goblin child 
Like, why in the fuck would a little kid that just got infested with the symbiote, like, hours before, like, have any thought to give himself a bad guy name? Like, why would that ever be in his mindset? It wouldn't... He, because he would just cool? Be, mm, okay. Four, and again, this is more of a me thing, when did Otto become fit and trim? Nice, right? He looks awesome. When did that happen, though? We don't know. He's always been a fat, slubby scientist, dude. Yes, we, we don't know, but that's part of the appeal. I want to know. I would buy a series featuring so that's his new character. News. Yeah. Uh, Dap, okay. right? As far as I'm concerned, yeah, as far as I know. Okay. Um, number five, I know that it's because Slot's trying to wrap it all up, but there was some mad 70s-style exposition in this book that I was just not feeling like I, I just I like Spidey lands on the street and he says and 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 Harry's like, you know where they'll be. This is all about Alchemex dot dot Liz's company. And then she's like, before he left, Osborne said I had till sundown to hand over the family business or else. Oh, you mean the company that absorbed Oscorp, his old financial empire? That's his end game? On what fucking planet would that be the conversation these three have in the midst of this? <laughs> Like you would, he would. They would need to explain what the fuck Alchemex is, or that it was taken. I mean, it's that's like it's like Slot got for me got pulled back into 1982, and I'm reading a Claremont book. Like I, I, I just didn't understand <laughs> it. I, I didn't understand the need for that. Um, wow. Six. I, I don't know who the woman is that's handing over the baby to Harry on the subsequent pages. I'm Emily. assuming it's his mom. Yep. But I don't know why I should care, why it's significant that they are estranged. I don't know who the baby is. I'm assuming it's their baby. But then you just told me a few pages before that their kid got kidnapped. So I'm guessing they have multiple kids. Mm-hmm. Yes. I don't know why I should care that they have the baby or that she has the baby. <laughs> like It just doesn't seem like it's pertinent to the book. Um, I, I don't think that, it's the baby that's pertinent to the book. What's pertinent hey, but I is... I have to turn a page to continue the story. That here's, here's Harry's mother who... I don't think has ever been a part of his life right. Sudden, suddenly pops up to not only, you know, enter his life, but save his children. It's, uh-huh. it, it's, it's, it's a big deal in Harry Osborne's life. And Harry Osborne is one of the major supporting characters in this arc. So yes, it's a, it's a big deal. Okay, cool. Um, you've already touched on the, on the, the J Jonah thing that's cool uh i know it's a blast pass so i'll give you a pass on that one um don't understand why pete is so okay with taking on the venom symbiote uh and then he takes it on and then gives it back up like it just seems like like slot was like oh snap i gotta make sure that pete puts on the venom symbiote before the issue's over i don't know that it served any purpose whatsoever in the story oh my god what? That's the, one of the best parts of the issue. That he puts it on? Yes. In what way does it help him defeat Red Goblin? Because he doesn't have the power. Because he doesn't. He, he's, he's weak. Goblin screwed up his web shooter. So he, he's, he's using it. it. It's another tool at his disposal. It, it's And Secret Wars. Well, yeah. I mean, there is that. Oh, and I'm I not. And, and, now we're going back to Secret Wars. Jesus Christ. And then I and then I hated the corner panel where he flexes and shows his little teeny bicep off like it's supposed to be impressive. I was like, really, dog? I don't know. You should be flexing. You're not a flexing dude. Um, 
Yeah, I, I mean, uh, I could go on. I'm not trying to shit on it though. Like, I'm glad y'all liked it. it it's much. More, <laughs> this issue is much more important to y'all than it was to me. Is so, there an, is I'm, there anything you did like about it? Um, you have an well, <laughs> I like some of the art. I mean, the individual artists are great. Like you said, I don't like that the art changes so dramatically, chapter to chapter. But, but I thought a lot of the art in and of itself, like panel to panel, is beautiful. Um, I love that MJ gets to whoop some ass. Mm. Um, mm. I love I to mean, smell the fingers on that glove. Yeah, I don't. Um, I don't know, man. I, I don't. I don't understand. Like, I, I guess to whatever extent, this wasn't meant to be a standalone issue. No, very few comics are. I like they go through all the trouble of giving the kid the symbiote, and then he's got the corny nickname. Then they defeat him. Then they put him in a machine to cure him in the epilogue, and then oh my god, so shocking! The next page, he winks and he's still got the symbiote. So it's like okay, right? I didn't see that coming. No, that's awesome. Mm. And then personally, and this is probably the most blasphemous thing I'm going to say, I think they whiffed big time having Marcus Martin finish off the issue. I think he his weaknesses as a draftsman are exposed in this after some of the artists that went before him in the issue. So. Well, you know what? I got to side with you on that. Uh, that, ah. that splash page aside yeah. is very nice. The double mm-hmm. the double page is very nice. I thought the um, Pete's eulogy, those pages, they're weak. Okay. They're, they're well, very weak. There. Yeah. And then I guess I'm left with just wondering, like, what's the what's the next? Like, we're like, I guess he's clearing the decks for Spencer, but but. Has well, anything really changed? Well, I don't mean to correct you, but I'm gonna because this is not Slot's last issue. Eight oh one is. Oh, okay, great. So, so he. <laughs> okay. Dude. So he he's getting one final say, and then that's then amazing. We'll reboot, restart with uh, Spencer and Otley, and um, I I don't know. I my my soul was on fire with joy reading this book. Well, that's far more important. You loving it is way more important than me not loving it. It'd be like, you know, if like Domino One came out and I hated it and you thought it was okay. It, it it's far more important to me that you loved it than yeah. whether or not I liked it or not. Right. And when, you and when, Dap, I mean you and Dap, I mean you both right, care right. about this character a lot more than I do. But see, see when Otto arrived to save the day to stop Goblin Child from and 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 Red Goblin from killing Aunt May. And he said, you know, when he did the whole, I don't have it up now, but he did the whole thing like, you don't touch this woman. I am her protector. Yes, like from, my, yeah. from, from the minute I saw her. And it, all, it just took me all back to with this ring, I the web. Yes. Like um, Otto has always had a thing for, for May. Yep. He and, likes and, and, and he's, yeah, he's, he's reprehensible at times and he's, He's he's mm-hmm. he the heart wants what the heart wants. He he's a criminal and but he still and and it, and this is slot. I thought this spin on it too was was extremely smart. He has Peter's memories from when he was um, the whole superior thing. So it's part Peter working through Otto, and it's part Otto already loving this woman that it's i thought that sequence was amazing that slot said yeah 
I, I know the history. The, the, these two characters have been intertwined since since 1977 or 76 or whatever with this Ring ID web. I don't even know the issue number. But it's just, it, it was old home feel-good time with this book. Mm-hmm. And I don't know, I don't care what you say. Pete, Pete putting on the Venom costume, dude, that's awesome. It's just, I, I, Dash, I speak on it, Dan. Yeah, Dan, I was, I was cool. damn giddy. I, yeah. there it wasn't, it wasn't perfect. Um, and, it's silly to think otherwise. I think that it's there were definitely things that I thought, and because for a while I was not reading Dan's stuff, um, yeah, I don't know what the fuck. Oh, because it's after midnight, folks. Um, no, it's not. The there's just um, it just feels like it. There's. Uh, there were, there were things I thought that happened in this issue that would have made more sense had they kind of reflected back on two slots earlier work. Yes, Superior Spider-Man was the whole thing with Otto in Pete's body, but Otto professing his love for May really didn't come up all that often in that run. So Otto showing up out of nowhere uh, was a bit odd. At no point did with with Peter Parker as as CEO um, ever wear a black suit. So I don't really know, and I wasn't feeling the eyes on the mask on 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 the symbiote. I don't know. You know it was neat to see Slot get to mess around with the Venom suit at least once in his run, but it's not like that was a callback to something that happened in Spider Island or Spider Verse or something else. Um, I, I, I love Umberto, so it was great seeing him come back. I, I appreciate, you know, some of the artists that Dan had to, had to work with throughout his run come back, with the exception of like Stegman, obviously Quapel, who's at DC now, um, Romita Jr., of course. But it, it's it's one of those things where um, there were there was some really cool moments. And and I'm glad that Slot kind of got to tell the story that he wanted to tell, but um, I didn't love it as much as the issues leading up to it led me to think I love it. And um, it hit some pretty pretty cool beats, and and I'm glad I got to see them play out. And uh, they, they were neat, but it wasn't a it wasn't a complete home run for me, unfortunately. If I have to listen to Mario offhandedly say something, oh yeah, this is like Jano Jason appeared in the Spider Slayer in issue eight hundred, I will choke him in his sleep. <laughs> so we get we have three tiers. Jason didn't like it very much. If at all, Dap Dap enjoyed it, and Dapp I enjoyed it. I thought it was capital G great. Yes. So there you go. Um, yeah, I, I, 
there are there are pages here that are gorgeous and um yeah you know the one i'm talking about right oh i know which one you love that double page where peter's like i do it for my family i do it for my friends that that spread if i had the scratch that jason has in his couch i would i would buy that spread there are um yeah there there are he didn't respond to that. he didn't he must be on mute There, there are definitely um some cool moments, but then there are also some things that happen where it's just like, okay, well, that that's just mighty convenient. And um, what is it with me and blondes? <laughs> right? I mean, yeah, no, I, I think I, his 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 Norman was amazing, and and yeah. there, I'm sorry, and and there are um, the it's weird. I don't know how I feel about what happens with some of the characters. Uh, I understand, you know, when someone's leaving. They they have to mess around with some things or or um, make sure uh, the next writer can can write themselves out of a box or, or what they'll have to play with. But um, I, I don't. I also really don't know how I feel about the whole um, Jonah and and Peter dynamic now. And and it, I mean, and the issue ends. It's almost like Jonah is. His Alfred, His Alfred yeah. to, to Peter's Bruce. It's yeah. like I don't. I don't want, mind that. I, That's a nice change. I don't. I, I don't know. It's it's a change. I don't know if I could say straight up that it's nice just yet because it's like it's. I mean, we have. Yes, there's there's guilt and and Joan has made some mistakes just in these past few issues alone. Uh, um, but come on, seriously. So, so I guess there's there's some atoning to do. But it, it's it well it's. It, as a person, it's hard for me to flick a switch, and and I, I cannot just if if you've wronged me, if you've pissed me off, if you've done something to piss my friends off, it's very hard for me to just open arms and accept you and, and say I'm going to work on it. I need to get to the point where I can then say I can work on it, but it's not going to be an automatic thing where I'm like, hey, yeah, now now you know who I. I, it's what I was. That's gonna, my baggage. I'm bringing to it. No, yeah, I get it. But if if we're gonna go by the the the, the information we've been been presented in this series over 800 issues, Jonah is a newspaper man. Newspaper men base their their entire li- their lives the the thing that they do the thing that's in their blood on facts and figures, verifying the data verifying your sources, checking all the, you know, connecting the dots. For Jonah not to realize that Spider-Man is not a menace after 800 issues would be stupid. Jonah would be a stupid character if he didn't. He would be an ineffectual newspaper man. He would be an unintelligent human being. Like, he has he has been given more than ample data to suggest that Spider-Man is not the menace he painted him to be early in the series. For him not to learn from his mistakes, that there's no character development. It's just mm-hmm. if if you want dumbass Jonah, go and read the Ditko stuff, right? Or 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 in a nice chunk of the Romita stuff. Jonah has seen firsthand that Spider-Man is a hero, and now he knows who's behind the mask. There's no way that that he that we could ever have the old Jonah back. That's done. That's finished. 
unless, you know, some contrived bullshit where Spider-Man gets framed for something and Jonah starts questioning his beliefs, which he wouldn't <laughs> do anyway because he knows Peter. I, I don't think we're ever, ever going to see uh, Spider-Man as a menace Jonah ever again. And that's good in my book. That's played out. That's old hat. It, it is old hat, but it's, I don't, it, based on the way reboots happen and, and things get shuffled around and Marvel and legacy, I, I can't say that I, I got to live in the moment. So I, I don't want to think about, you know, well, they can do this to fix it, you know, or, or the Beyonder will come back and snap his fingers and, and, and things will go bad. I don't, I'm not trying to write 801 or whatever Spencer's going to do. And, and yes, as of right now, this is status quo. Um, it is quite interesting. So yeah. I, I, I give them props for doing something different with, with these characters. So it's not the same old, same old. Right. Matt has been Yurik. Peter now has J. Jonah Jameson. It's, That's it's, true. It's fun. It's fun. Yes. All right. Uh, the other big book that came oh. out this, uh, this Wednesday is Man of Steel. Number, number one. Bendis. Yep. By uh, Brian Michael Bendis, Ivan Heiss, for the most part, on pencils. Joe Prado did inks. Jay Fabok did uh, two pages. And Alex Sinclair did the colors. Did mm-hmm. all the colors. Now, this is going to be the flip side of what we just talked about, because I'm definitely going to be at the bottom mm-hmm. in, in my level of enthusiasm for this. That's my heart. No, I'm, no I thought it was good. It was a good start, a good first issue, but full disclosure, I read it after I read Amazing Spider-Man 800. This issue, in my mind, does nowhere near compare to, to, to 800. This was a, a nice start. It, there's a couple cool concepts in here, but by and large, I mean, the, the best part of the issue for me was Melody Moore. I think gotta, ben, gotta keep that alliteration going. Yes, I think Bendis was extremely cunning to exploit the fact that there are people in this fictional universe that look upon Superman with awe. You need that in a first issue. And she is just totally enamored with him to the point where she lets her emotions slip and, you know, he knows she's got something on and I think that Bendis is planting a seed here because when, um, yeah, but I, you mean like a creeper seed, right? When, no, when Superman says, Hey, give my buddy Clark Kent or Lois. No, you know what? Just, just give Clark Kent a call. I think that may be something in Superman. He's a man. That fine? No, 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 please. No, no, no. So, well, no, no, you are agreeing no. with me then. I just said like a creeper, and you're like, no, I'm saying. You mean he, on her part? They're, they're, they're foreshadowing the two, two of them having a thing, right? No. He, I'm no, thinking no, no, that, no. that he may struggle with the concept of. No, I, because in, in, the, um, in the DC Nation, in the Zero issue, Perry wanted Clark 
to go to Lois to work out of Lois's office. And Lois is not there. She's somewhere else we still don't know. So he stopped himself by saying, because reflex, it's always like, yeah, give Clark or, yeah, yeah, no, give Lois Lane the story. Lois isn't there to give the story to. Did Bendis write that? Indecent yes. Is that, okay. Yes. So. Yes. All right. So, so this is, so no, this is, I mean, she may have a thing for Superman. They just met. He's quite fetching. So, you know, maybe she might, and obviously she does because she's like, oh no, it's nice meeting you. Yeah. That's the thing. I got the vibe that he was. So I'm not as up on the Superman ongoing as y'all. And when I read this, my first thought was like, oh, no, is, is Bendis doing like a reboot? Like, is Clark a swinging single now? And this nope. is his new love interest? Nope. Nope. Then, obviously, in the later pages, we see he's still with Lois and he's got his kid. Yeah. So then I was thinking, okay, so wait a minute then. Is this a case of this girl be about about it? Like, is this a thing where... She may want to be about No, about but then it, I was like, is Bendis going to have it be in like a... Like an affair thing? You know, because he, the, like there's even more set up where she says, you know... I'm taller than Wonder Woman. Yep. He's, he's yeah. He's like, yeah, oh, yeah, no, yeah you know, you are. No, but she, listen, an affair thing would be a bad look. We can all agree on that, right? Oh, oh yes. for serious. Yeah. yeah. Okay. He's okay. he's unflagging in his devotion to Lois. Yeah. Okay. But right. it would be he neat. Right. It would be neat to see him just I don't not waver, but live a little. Take a moment and say, you know what? This is a, a an extremely fetching woman. And she's like flinging it at me. But I mean, Barda did that and he didn't bite. At least, you know, well, not not of his own mind. Come on, but no, I mean, I thought that, but I I completely forgot about DC Nation Zero. Mm-hmm. Um, no, I I mean, I, again, I thought it was it was fun. It was a fun issue. Um, I didn't think it was a great issue. I thought it was fun. It looks amazing. I I agree. I think it's, and I don't know if if Abak is doing the two the last two pages of all six issues. Um, I I, I kind of dig this little epilogue of, um, you know, a moment in the life of the Kents, and um, you know we don't exactly have a. I mean, we get we see Clark looking at a framed photo of his wife and son, um, which then cuts to. Then back at home for a quick second, and then bright light. So we'll see what happens next week. But uh, I think the the and I I I think it it hit the ground. It it left me feeling good because you know I know however people felt after Action One Thousand or the DC Nation story. Uh, or just that it's Bendis, and and that you know that means that the the Tomasi and the Jurgen stuff had to go away. That I didn't think about any of that when I read this, and and this you know you you have that one page with Superman not wanting to eavesdrop, but he's he's monitoring the city, um, and those are those little moments that I I kind of associate with Bendis, and and here he was. Uh, Making Superman, I mean, even though he's using his powers, uh, somewhat human, and and then of course he springs into action as as he does. So um, I thought it was a solid Superman issue. 
I, I have no complaints in that regard. Uh, I like that we got a lot more information on the big bad. That was fucking Superman up in Action Comics 1000. And, and it's not necessarily that he was a... He was the reason why Krypton exploded, but obviously he has he has motives, and he um, he's he's pleading his case to the powers that be, and and the rest of the council isn't really um, don't see eye to eye with him. So it's he'll take matters into his own hands, I guess. And so whatever questions I may have had after reading Action Comics 1000, this, this didn't answer them all, but I I think some people might feel a little better, but this may have put them at ease and, and uh, so that they're not so uptight about not being spoon-fed everything right off the bat. And uh, I like the fact that it's weekly. It's a Man of Steel titled series, and... It's coming out every week, although back then it was every other week. But still, I think, I think this was, this was a home run for me, I, absolutely. Yeah, and and for me, as someone who was the least uh, soupy of the three of us, I, I thought it was phenomenal. I, I, I uh, you know, I I, I was kind of coming into this with that mindset of like. Do we really need another Superman origin story? Um, not knowing what it was going to be, but I was just hoping it wasn't that because for as little Superman as I've read relative to y'all or like a long time Superman fan, I feel like I've read Superman's origin story like 18 times. So really glad that even though this plays with the origin in the sense of kind of retconning what went on with Krypton, I dig what what's being put down there, you know, like I dig the villain's motivation. I dig that it's probably an ambiguous motivation, right? Where much like any modern political debate, there are two sides to the story and whatever side you're on, you feel is just the gospel truth. But most history is subject to interpretation and whoever's writing it. So I I like that Bendis is playing with that. Uh, I think the guy comes off as a credible badass based on what we know. He's got a little bit of the Lobo to him, right? In the sense that he's this oversized, probably close to immortal dude who's essentially living by himself and has fought a lot of battles. But he's not hes not cutting jokes like Lobo would. He's, he's hmm. why so serious, bro? Um, I like the idea of a cosmic council or whatever that's got the that's got the the guardians and and, and other DC uh, beings in it because I wonder if that's going to play into Bendis's arc where Superman's trying to have comeuppance with those motherfuckers for what happens or not. Uh, I like you said, Dap. I think the art is breathtaking. Uh, Yvonne is a terrific artist, and uh, this this was this was Superman at his best, right? I mean, just oversized bigger than the world as he should be. I adored um, the idea of how they handled Superman being able to hear and know everything that's going on. Because one of my issues has always been for me, why I think I've had trouble connecting with Superman is that he's so powerful 
that um, if he can hear everyone at all times, how does he not go insane? How does he not, even with his abilities, let millions of people die because there's a thousand things going on at any second on the earth that he needs to fix? I love that this was addressing that in a way that's credible. He does hear it all. He deals with it all. It is a pain in the ass, but it's pretty much his lot in life. It's his responsibility. Um, but it doesn't make him bitter. It make, he's, he's able to, to view it as a gift and not a curse. Uh, yeah, I just, I thought it was terrific. I, I'm giddy that they didn't abolish the, the lowest in the sun aspect. Um, yeah, there's, there's really nothing about this issue that I disliked. So it's off to a terrific start. And as someone who is not beholden to the character as much, I think this is, if DC's going for, and I think they are trying to make Superman a relevant commercial success again, after a long time of not being, um, if I'm in any way indicative of the average superhero fan, who's not beholden to Superman, uh, this would, I think objectively rope me in for the duration. I would, I would, I'd be on board at this point for the miniseries at a minimum. So if, if I'm, if I'm representative of the average non Superman diehard, then they've got a commercial success on their hands. Nice. Yep. Okay. Devil's advocate. Mm-hmm. What did Jay Fabok add to this issue other than two pages? That was whatever, whatever's going on, mm-hmm. whatever happens to, to Lois and John, that's it. That's... But what I'm saying is they're two unremarkable pages. Oh, mm-hmm. they're, they're, they're in no way comparable to the, to the pages that precede them. They're, they're, they're okay pages, but they're just two pages tacked on the end. Like mm-hmm. it, to me, it's just like, okay. Heist couldn't finish the entire issue, so they gave no. It. But what what about these two pages is worthy of of any kind of merit of a different artist? Yeah, it's, it's just it's like, not it's it's still it's still a flashback. I mean, yeah, there, there's there are pages between you know, um, and one of them is two of the same friggin' panel. Yes, but it's just, that's what I'm saying. I don't know if Fabak is doing this little whatever this this epilogue is throughout all six issues. I don't right. know if sixth right. issue ends with, with for box pages. And then the first issue of Superman or whatever is that w- w- whatever we are left with at the end of issue six. Um, so I, it's, they're not, Yvonne did draw them because it's not taking place in the present day and it has nothing to do with uh, with Rogozar, well, that's so, a, that's kind of a load of hooey because the the there there are two different time periods in in the heist pages. Right. So right. what mm-hmm. what big deal? What, throw a third in. What's the difference? You know what I'm saying? Like the, the the timeline is is staggered to begin with. So what's what would uh, a, a present day timeline with with Prado? Why would it be such a big deal to just have heist do them? It's not a conceptual thing. They're they're not so strikingly different that you say, "Oh, this is a different timeline." You you know mm-hmm. that from the narrative. It's just uh, Prado's work is very similar to Heiss's. So it's I I just don't 
understand why these two pages are are even there. I, I mean, I know why they're there, but why aren't they just the same artists? They're they're not dissimilar to be noteworthy, and they're not they're 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 too too much of what has come before to be seen as anything other than part of the issue. I just I'm not getting it. Well, we don't see Lois and John throughout any of Yvonne's pages. Except for a, a Lois stand-in okay. and a yeah. cardboard and a picture of his family, right. so it's—I mean, it's—it's it's a different setting because he's back in his apartment. It's family time, which we don't get at all in the first ninety-eight percent of the issue. Um, I, I have no problem with the Fabok stuff because it does—it—it—it it, it does change the setting. It's—it's it's, for me. It. it it evokes uh, a, a sense of change and, and not necessarily a, a different time because it, it, it obviously happened recently, but, uh, but I'm not being a dick, but visually no, it's so, I, it's I so similar to the high stuff that it doesn't indicate a change. It, no, it's, it's, it's almost it's, seamless. These two pages. No, because no, I don't, I, I don't agree because I, mean, it, between, and just looking at little things like the way, Clark pulls Clark's hair is brushed back when he's at the planet talking to Perry and, yeah, and at home. I get that. It's, no, so I mean they're, they're I'm there saying stylistically, they're both in the same wheelhouse. Right? Like I could say if okay. you had Ramita Jr. do these last two pages, that's just yeah, a, but, a leap. Okay. No, you know, I, what, I, you know I, what I mean? Like yeah, this I, the I, transition I, between I, these these two is seamless. It looks visually see, similar. Then I, get, I get to the last page and that's more that's more Eaglesham or or um or even like not so much Gleason, but that 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 doesn't the last page doesn't look like Yvonne to me. And just to um lend fuel to what you're talking about, when Clark looks at the photo of Lois and uh John, mm-hmm. that's not a happy face. No. It's a wistful because face. they're like, missing. They're they're, yeah. they're not we don't know where they are. He I I'm sure he does, but something's going on. Yep. So you know, I and and that's that's part of what's making this this series and 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 this Bendis take in, intriguing to me. I, I don't I, we're not. It's not like I don't get the sense that it's it's something that he's gonna. It's a Claremont thing that, that that's never gonna get resolved. I I have a feeling that you know we'll we'll get to the bottom of this pretty quickly. But it's still, even though this particular series is coming out over the next six weeks, I I. I I want I, ever since, ever since the DC Nation, I was like, it, it's he dangled it in front of us, and I'm like, okay, well that that's got to be something. And we didn't get an answer this week, and I don't know if we'll get an answer next week, but I want to know what happened with Lois and John, and and yeah. So I'm, they're 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 pressing all the right buttons for me. I I I have a Superman. That, that's familiar and, and that I'm a fan of. I have um, what I've seen in the supporting cast is still there, whether it's Jimmy or Perry or now Melody and, and the other uh, reporter who, who showed up in DC nation who's standing here next to Perry. Um, we, we have a, um, it's not doomsday, but we have a, a pretty <laughs> serious. Sure is <laughs> Thank goodness. Uh, <laughs> uh, please. <laughs> Uh, well, no, Doomsday can't swing a sword. So there's just... You don't know have, that. 
You don't know that. <laughs> you. It's up to you to prove it. Uh, so there's just, yeah, no, it's, I am, I know I've been, I haven't been poo-pooing the idea of Bendis coming on, either coming to DC or taking over Superman or what have you, whatever you want to say. Um, so it's not going to be, it's not going to, it's nothing new as far as where I'm coming from and, and what I'll tell people, but I, I, I'm almost on cloud nine. I, it, 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 I'm this close to saying I couldn't be happier, but I don't know the whole story. And I only have these few pages and it's only been one week, but it's, mm-hmm. you know, I am, I am quite happy with this. And, uh, I'm so stoked for next week. Nice. Well, I enjoyed it. I, I liked it, but okay. I, I don't I, think it was the, the, uh, the suplex that Amazing Spider-Man 800 was. And may- maybe having read it right after, that's factoring into it. What- me and the Zorro, Vince. I could, I, I, I could see that, Vince. I have no... I, it was good. It, 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 it was, no, you're... The, 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 the amount of time between issues and, and the order you read them in, I absolutely can see that that, that would play a part and, and sway your feeling one way or the other. I, I have no problem with that. Jason, take us out with some commentary. Uh, well, no, like I said, I mean, I don't know what more there is for me to say. I I thought it was fantastic. I mean, All right. It uh, Bendis is uh, the. <laughs> it almost has become a bit of a running joke because DC has played up Bendis's arrival to such a degree that they are putting a tremendous amount of pressure on him. Um, the business guy in me says this probably won't make Superman a top 10 book for long because I don't know that creators these days can do that. Um, but if we're just talking quality, then this, this issue, like I said, brings me, brings me, uh, all in. Cool. And if you'd like to get all in with our Patreon, all you got to do is go to patreon.com forward slash 110COMICS and uh, join the fun because that is who you have to thank, or they are who you have to thank for this whole brouhaha. Our patrons, this episode would not have been possible without them. And uh, we love them so much and we love you so much for listening. In your travels, I'm just going to tease because I want to talk about this next time. Just a tip. Mm hmm. Did you know that Caliber Comics is back? Ooh. I had missed that announcement. Well, you should have been checking your previews because they've been in there for the past bunch of months. Darn. And uh, I think, stop. I think they're doing uh, a print-on-demand type thing because uh, <laughs> one of the... Dude. One of the, uh, one of the telltale signs of print-on-demand is there's nothing on the spine. Either people who use print-on-demand haven't figured out how to get something on the spine or there's no way for them to do something on the spine. So there's nothing. And this is a prestige format book. There's nothing on the spine. And you have, you know, the ba- the last page blank. So it, it looks print-on-demand to me, which is not a detriment. I don't care. Uh, this was written by Stephen Philip Jones. Art and letters by Alden Barroza. 
the cover arts by Stefano Cardicelli. It was originally published in 1996. It is a story called Tatters. And I would like you to read this for next time because it collects um, however many issues Tatters turned out to be. And there's a chunky afterward by uh, the people involved. I thought it was wonderful. It's a future-type story where the uh, United States, government-wise, is in tatters. The uh, The White House has been destroyed not once but twice. And uh, capital has been moved. Um, but it is... It's a mystery. It's pulpy. It's uh, sci-fi. It was a whole lot of fun. Beautifully illustrated by uh, Alden Barroza. I see a little bit of Jerry Grandinetti in the art, which is always a good thing with me. And um, I'll talk about it in depth next time. So Tatters from Caliber Comics. Excite. I am excited. That Caliber Comics is back. They're just taking old stuff and reprinting it. But that's okay, because there was a lot of cool stuff that was published under the Caliber uh, banner. Check it out. Tatters. It's uh, eight ninety nine for um, how many pages is this thing? Oh, I don't know. 80-some pages. Eight ninety nine can't beat it. And it's called Tatters. Tatters. Tatters, you said. Tatters. Not tatas. Tatters. Tatters. Uh, In your travels, I'm going to make this a quick issue. It's the second issue uh, by Duggan and O'Sullivan and Spicer, and it is called Analog. And it's Plague. Second issue takes place right after the events of the end of the first issue. Um, And with the first issue being a really solid setup as far as the world these characters live in today and why it is the way it is kind of goes in a little bit of a different direction. And as far as I'm concerned, uh, somewhat for the better, Um, instead of just picking up with what they laid down in the first issue and then shrugging, okay, well, this is how it is. And and we're just going to follow this dude around. Um, We've kind of uh, have some new players on the scene and uh, we're going to um, Jack kind of has some new bosses now, more or less. And, and the government's going to is, is back to being involved in finding out what the citizens are doing. And uh, Jack might have a plan to keep those, Let people do what they want to do without government interference. So, um, and we get a little bit more information. We see a little bit more about uh, Una, the uh, the woman who was the sniper from the first issue. And I have a feeling that the people who meet Una at the end of the second issue probably aren't going to start the third issue very healthy. But I'll wait to see. But yeah, I um, I really didn't. You know, I read the first issue. We talked it up. I liked it. Um, so, of course, I was going to read the second, and, and the second one uh, 
couple surprises, somewhat unexpected, but as far as I'm concerned, in a good way. So I'll see where the third issue goes and uh, take it from there. Right on, right on. I, too, will be brief uh, in your travels from the DC Hanna-Barbera collaboration. Oh, nice. Aquaman Jabberjaw, number one. Oh. It, uh, <laughs> it is a really strange issue. Um Written by Dan Abnett, which makes sense because he has been writing Aquaman uh, with uh, pencils by Paul Pelletier and art by his frequent art, uh, art ink by his uh, frequent ink partner, Andrew Hennessy. Uh, it is, as you might expect, a mashup of Aquaman and Jabberjaw. This is set in the current DC continuity with the current DC Aquaman. Uh, there is... Um, Something happening in a neighboring beach town involving giant shark attacks, and the sheriff asks for Aquaman's help, but uh, he is quickly confronted with Jabberjaw. Now, what's a little weird is that since it's Pelletier drawing it in the DC universe, Jabberjaw is drawn like a regular old great white shark. Um... And, you know, that's an artistic choice. That's fine. It it took a little bit away for me from the book. Um, also, in this in this book, Jabberjaw, who looks, again, just like a regular biological great white shark, can float, fly, float, whatever you have you, out of the water. Um, he talks like you would expect because it's, I mean, that's certainly consistent. He was a drummer for a band, which is consistent, but uh, something has happened that sent Jabberjaw back from the future, um, from the year 2076, and uh, he and Aquaman uh, must do bad against a group of ultra-aggressive, oversized killer sharks. Um, it's This isn't what I was hoping for, but I can't say that it was bad. I very much enjoyed Abnett's run on Aquaman, very much. And I've always been a fan of Paul Pelletier, so I have no qualms with the art or the uh, writing in terms of the craft. But I personally would have gotten a bigger kick out of this if Jabber was drawn in the cartoon way. It would have just, I think, felt a little more nostalgic to me. Um, And it would have seemed a little less strange to have Jabber draw floating through the air because it, you you guys probably know what I'm talking about. There are these uh, floating helium balloons that uh, there are flying sharks. That I see them a lot in the summertime at the beach. Mm-hmm. Um, they're remote controlled, basically flying sharks ever since Sharknado came out. It, it's it's The way it's drawn, it looks like that. It just looks like there's this flying shark balloon next to Aquaman a lot of the times. Um, you know, he's not even like walking on his fins or anthropomorphic so it just it artistically looks a bit stunted um but 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 it sounds like jabberjaw and the villains are cool there's a gigantic megalodon mech robot that they battle and uh it's it's all pretty cool i i i I didn't dislike it but it's probably a solid b where i was hoping for an a plus because i i had dug Jabberjaw as a cartoon when I was a kid so, so much. But, um, yeah, so I don't know if this is the resounding endorsement people will need to go out and buy this if you haven't already, but 
um, it's 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 quirky. It's quirky. I can't tell you it's it's a must own. <laughs> At least you're honest, right? Mm-hmm. That's yeah. all, that's all we can hope for. Mm-hmm. And you can hope for another one of these because you're gonna get it very soon. In the meantime, join us on our Facebook group, alive and kicking. Uh, the Twitters, the we're all over the damn place. Patreon.com forward slash one one zero c o m i c s. And uh, in the meantime, help us out by saying good night. Ooh, <laughs> David. Mm. Good night. David. Wow, shut your mouth. That was good. Oh, thanks, man. It's pretty damn close. We'll be back. Thank you. Yeah, this was a good one. This mm-hmm. was a whole lot of fun. We've got uh, two more episodes, right, before Heroes? If we're doing one a week, then yeah. Yeah, we got next week, and then probably Tuesday. Yeah. Unless we're recording live at Jason's. But I was going to say, unless you all record by the fire pit live. Oh, but then that'd he's got to bring, he's gotta bring the laptop. Cool. Yeah, but I could leave the laptop at Jason's Absolutely. House. Oh, hell yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. Have all the porn bookmarks so uh, his oldest can not see on if the he's laptop. got anything new. No, oh. not, never. Mm-hmm. No. I don't clutter it up with crap because it may affect other things, meaning the production of this. And I, I don't think I've ever. Did I thank Apple for making a great product, which enables us to, <laughs> to produce this this <laughs> this podcast on a mm-hmm. on a weekly basis? It's a phenomenal machine. Loves it. Yeah, loves only it. iTunes was equally phenomenal. Yeah. Pardon well. me. I said, if only iTunes was equally phenomenal. Yes, there is that. iTunes is a, is a load of crap. Yep. It seems like they've abandoned podcast support. I, whatever. On the phone, it's ridiculous. Forget about it. I don't unless you use, you know, a, a, a second, a third party podcast. No, it would be second party, right? Because iTunes is second party. Unless you use another app to get podcasts on the phone, iTunes is like virtually no support for podcasts. Am I yeah. right? It's weird. You're right. Stupid. But the machines right, are bomb, right. yo. All right, we'll be back. We love you. Thank you for being here with us. Go read Savage Sword and anything we talked about. Read Amazing Spider-Man 800. And then if you have a couple bucks left over, maybe. <laughs> bye, man. Don't even. <laughs> we love you. Say bye. Later. Typey McTypes a lot. Seriously. Yeah, yeah. what's going on here? I got business to take care of. The business. <laughs> <laughs>